In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. Podcast. I'm Conlon. I'm Nathan. Andrew. And today we have, I forgot. Yeah, we have more people here. <laughs> um, yeah, and we have another very special episode. We have the 1990 movie, The Hunt for Red October, which is 20 years after our previous movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Weird. It's kind of strange. <laughs> and this movie's 30 some years old. So it's like, yeah. wow, we're, we're time traveling. Uh, it came out March second, nineteen ninety. Do you have a history with the movie? Did like did we go see this in theaters? I don't remember seeing it in theaters. Or anything, I think but... me and Dad did. Okay, because this I was a I was a Tom Clancy nerd like before this movie came out. Like this was my thing. I mean, I've talked about my. I'm gonna a lot of a lot of talk during this episode is gonna cross pollinate between the book and the movie. Sorry, I know this is supposed to be movie focused, but I can't do the movie without the book. No, no. Anytime we, well, anytime we come across a movie that's based on a book, we kind of like try to do all encompassing stuff. So, I didn't reread the book, but I've read the book as before. So. And and Tom Clancy always had a special place in my heart as, as just one of those world class storyteller guys that made everyone around him feel smarter than they actually were. And that's a good feeling, you know. That's it makes you feel like I'm part. I'm I'm in the action here. I know what all this means. I don't know. It's kind of like how the the. The mythos of Tom Clancy, because like everybody would say, like, oh, he was also a CIA analyst, but wasn't he just like an insurance no, he's guy? An insurance just, guy just had like Navy friends and stuff like that, and he, did a lot of research. He is someone who wanted to be in the military, but he had horrendous eyesight, and they just like he was just like kept out of service. So this was like he turned it. Um, he became like an actuary insurance analyst guy, and he turned that knowledge and research purely into like history history research naval research warfare research and he was also a great storyteller and he merged those three loves into this amazing fiction uh because this book uh, the read the book the hunt for red october was published through a technical publishing company that just <laughs> published like articles like like tom clancy hold on what was it called the navy press or something let me look real quick uh, that makes because it, 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 that's probably the same thing that did Pentagon Wars or something. Yeah, Naval Institute Press was who published it initially, and his thing before this was he wrote a technical article about the MX missile and its uh, you know implementation and you know kind of like how it would fit into our uh, you know strategic nuclear umbrella or whatever. And then the Naval Press decided, hey, let's do fiction because that's like a kind of an up and coming thing. But let's do technical fiction because this might be a, a genre that people like and so tom clancy submitted this novel and he sold it to him for the whopping sum of five thousand dollars uh which they also did a lot of editing on it and then published the original hunt for red october uh the one that the novel that everyone's read i have like the special special edition where they put in all the technical stuff 
which was actually kind of cool if you you know if you like that but yeah so tom clancy was a singular kind of genius there's other people that do that what they call techno thriller genres but his always had like the best panache and the best icing on it of yeah. and a sheen of legitimacy because he became so popular he started hanging out with admirable uh, admirals <laughs> admirables <laughs> admirals admirable admirals yes he started hanging out with admirables uh admirals and pentagon people and uh george hw bush and a lot of people so it's like yeah it was always tom clancy was like uh his name became something he could trademark and live off of and towards the end of the life he was hanging out with carrie fisher and kevin yeah. smith yeah it got kind of it got strange it took a it's a weird <laughs> It's the hero's journey is sometimes an unusual one. It's, it's, it's definitely, definitely got strange towards the end. Andrew, do you have a history of this? Because you were saying you started watching this last night, you couldn't get through all of it because the internet was going out. But you said this is the first time you actually watched this movie. Yeah, I think mean, I think I've seen like bits and pieces of it on cable. Uh, do you remember ones. like what you thought it was like? And never watched it, or just never got around to it. I mean, it's a solid like espionage movie. I mean. It's part part and parcel. What I'd say is like like his. I've seen some of all fears. Is probably the only Tom Clancy movie I've seen all the way through before this, and it seems very much in par and tone and course of that movie. I mean, not as actiony because you know CGI and you know it takes all place on a sub and sub action stuff. But at the same time, yeah, I'm just happy with the movie. I was kind of disappointed I couldn't finish it, but at the same time, <laughs> it's like, well, I guess I'll try and finish the last like forty or forty five minutes some other time, but. I mean, I liked it. I mean, it thought it aged pretty well. It doesn't necessarily need to have, be really showy or have a lot of... I mean, it was really star-studded for, you know, the time. I don't know what the budget was on that movie. Oh, it was a big budget movie. But, 30 million. 30 million production. I imagine between Tim Curry and Sean Connery and Alec Baldwin, they have quite a bit. But, I mean, money. this is McTiernan coming off of Die Hard, so... Oh. I think, right? I believe so, yeah. Die Hard okay. was 88... So yeah, yeah, this is coming off Die Hard. So yeah, so yeah, obviously directed by John McTiernan, my favorite felon director. I hope we saw your favorite felon director too. He is my uh, favorite ultimate like badass. Like I'm such a director, I'm just gonna spy on people. I'm gonna <laughs> surreptitiously monitor their communication so I can shape my message. That is a guy dedicated to his craft. I don't care what anyone says. Well, no, he's not my favorite felon director. He is my favorite director. Yeah, uh, he just happens to be a felon as well. No, uh, he. Oh, if you don't know, Andrew, he got caught for spying on producers and stuff. I don't know what technically he went to jail for, but uh, he was wiretapping and fraud. Yeah, it's, okay, it's okay, illegal to. If you, so everyone thinks it's clever, like, oh, I'm going to put a device on someone's computer and or phone and or listening device in their house because you can buy that stuff like readily. Until you're like, oh, that's a felony. Like, you will go to prison for, like, five years for doing that. It's a complete invasion of privacy. Um, and if you profit from it, then it's like, oh, it's a force multiplier. <laughs> you lose all your money then. So, But it's fun if you go back and listen to his audio commentaries because he does them for, I think, almost all of his movies. Yes. And you hear him talk about like, dealing with producers, and he's just like, you know, you just got to know how to talk with them and, and like deal with them. And you realize, oh, he knows how to, he knows how to deal with them because he's been spying. It's like, yeah, it's like a poker guy that's like, or it's like a guy who's counting cards. It's like, you just got to have a feel for where the cards are. It's like, 
Yeah, by cheating. <laughs> That's how you have a feel for it. Well, uh, you know, I mean, the human condition is to be <laughs> uncomfortable with other people's heads because you don't know what's in them. So technically, I wouldn't say he's cheating. He's just coming up with a better way of playing the game. Well, I mean, what I'd say for about 90% of his filmography, he is correct and made the right decision yeah. <laughs> to do that to, for his art. Yeah, the lesson to learn from John McTiernan is not that he was wrong. It was that he got caught. That's the lesson to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I, was, I would say the crime of sp- spying on Hollywood producers is not a good, <laughs> is not a big crime. I don't think anyone should be really concerned about it. It's not like he was selling a lot of national secrets or anything. He just wanted to not have to deal with bullshit. What do you mean, Andrew? They're great people. Evidence <laughs> all these show. I mean, look at Harvey Weinstein. I mean, it's just like a charitable, wonderful human being there. He gave all these women all these jobs. <laughs> and just job. ask for job. one nope. thing. Just one thing. <laughs> Uh, well, no, that's it I mean, for this podcast. Good night, everyone. <laughs> well, I mean, because we were talking about the pedophile in the movie. I mean, I'm sorry. A c- well, possible I'm... pedophile. Alleged pedophile. Yeah, alleged pedophile. The principal, the guy played the principal in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, and, God, I forgot about and... that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because, like, I was talking Jeffrey about it because I was like, I thought the story ended with him going to jail. No, he never went to jail. So it's weird that John McTiernan goes to jail yeah. for spying on producers. Yeah, but, but the guy that watches child pornography, no jail time. <laughs> no, that's it's terrible. Weird yeah, that's that's not right. <laughs> and this uh, is well, all speaking got... in the uh, world of the hypothetical, because yeah, I don't want to be sued for the four thousand dollars I have. <laughs> you know, um, don't take it from me. <laughs> I, I think that all happened around the 2000s, and I guess for some reason they're more lenient on that stuff. And he had some status, and so he just happened to get away with it. So, but, um, oh, that you should never get away with. That's weird. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> was his excuse. He was studying for a role. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't know. <laughs> I didn't delve into it deeper because you just never want to really know that stuff. You, you just... can't research that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and type that into a Google search engine. It's like, well, you're going to jail. <laughs> But I was just researching child pornography, sir. That's, that's all I was Yeah, doing. you and the guy from The Who. It's like, yeah, it was just for research. It's like, no, it doesn't work. And he had hundreds of millions of dollars to defend himself. So it's like, yeah, no, don't do it. Uh, but he's, uh, John McTiernan is my favorite director because if I was a director, that's who I want. Because he makes, ostensibly, big, dumb action movies. Yeah. But he layers them to be smart and sensical with the big dumb action because when you think of die hard because there's so many clones of die hard then they always get it wrong because on the surface you think die hard is a dumb movie but it's actually smart and laid out very well yeah but on the surface it seems dumb and so that's kind of what john McTiernan does he takes kind of dumb trite material he adds a bit of like kind of realism to it and stakes and humanism and he makes spectacular action along the way yeah, so. it works. That makes you want to believe. It. And in, in this movie, because I know the book and the movie well, because I've read and seen them both dozens of times, it's like it's a very dense novel that they yeah. actually tie together in a way that anyone could watch this movie and understand what's going on. I mean, maybe not in the full dimensions, but you, you can just <laughs> in one viewing of this movie, it's like you understand. There's never a point where you're confused as to what what is going on or why. Now, if you read the novel, it's like you might not have to do a little research. Like, oh wait, what what the hell is this? Like, what <laughs> here's a thirty page technical manual in between chapters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it might not be your thing, 
But for the whoever uh, wrote the script, who did do the script, by the way? Uh, it was uh, 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 separate people, uh, Larry Ferguson and Donald Stewart. It's A and D and, so they didn't write it together. They wrote it separately. Larry Ferguson, he did like Highlander and stuff like that. Yes, um, okay. Uh, he also, I believe, he pl- he plays Cobb on the Dallas. He's the chief of the boat. So okay, cause, interesting, cause interesting. Okay. McTiernan loves to have writers on set, so that's a way he can get to like rewrites on set is by having them be actors because he did the same thing in Predator. Um, that's smart. That's like two for one. <laughs> it's like I'm paying you for one thing, but you're, you're two things. <laughs> Well, also, it's a way to get around like some things where it's like having someone work on set because it's like, oh, we don't want writers on set. It's like, how about the writer was an actor? Because <laughs> he did the same thing with Shane Black and Predator because Shane Black was like, you know, he was the nerdy guy of the crew that yes. had MP5. Is that the guy telling the jokes all the time? Yeah, yeah. And his, yeah. the joke that made the one guy laugh was like the echo inside his wife's. Yeah, yeah, it's inside her sex organs. It's like, they're so yeah. big. They're so big. They're so big. <laughs> I can't say the line, but yeah. Uh, you can on here. I'll just I'll just edit it in the in post on the podcast. But um, I mean, it's a great joke. I don't. I'm I'm not saying it not because I'm afraid of saying it. It's like you need to hear it in its original form because <laughs> it's really cool in the way it's done and the way it's delivered and the time in the movie it happens. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff that seems like ad lib that was actually just Shane Black on set just feeding people lines. So that's why John McTiernan does that stuff. So yeah, and again, it's a way to circumvent producers. Because he can just change things on set without their approval. <laughs> Once again, f- producers. You'll never I, learn. Yeah, I'm, the more you tell me about this guy, Conlon, the more he might even supplant uh, Ridley Scott as my favorite director. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I like guys. Ridley Scott for all the esoteric bullshit and the egotism. I, I just love yeah. Ridley Scott's ego, if nothing else. <laughs> like, that's why he's my favorite director. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, John McTiernan doesn't—he makes to me what is art, but uh, he doesn't. You know, uh, I think on the whole, he doesn't make art, whereas Ridley Scott makes art. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, me like picking Ridley Scott as my favorite director. Like, that's not like a hard fastball to hit. It's like, oh well, of course, he's like one of the ten best directors that's ever lived. It's like saying uh, it's only Stanley Kubrick for me, and I'm an oddball for that, right? And it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> You're not, you're, you know, you're standing among equals there saying that. But. No, Ed Wood's my favorite director, but I just do that to, for the confrontation and the argument. <laughs> yeah, I just want to fight with people. Uh, and then Donald Easter was the other writer. He kind of like, he kind of charioted the rest of the Clancyverse franchise because he worked on Patriot Games and, and uh, what was the other one? Clear and Present Danger. So yeah. He was like a co-writer on those. And of course, this is based on a novel by Tom Clancy. I don't know. I think at this time, he kind of had no involvement with the, with this movie other than, you know, he probably got a bunch of money for it. But it was later on where he got really got lucrative with all the rights and stuff. Yeah, I think uh, it was yeah. pretty much, this was pretty much a, uh, what you call an internet print form involvement. It's like <laughs> you get X amount of money for the rights, and I don't think he got any back end or anything. That was much later. So, uh, whereas like when you got to Some of All Fears, which is kind of a, a mediocre movie, but is a great commentary track where Tom Clancy is there, basically discrediting the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, that's bullshit. <laughs> Just telling the director that to his face, to his. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you know that's bullshit, right? Yeah, let me tell you why it's bullshit. Yeah, that was uh, this is the best 
why I love Tom Clancy is that commentary. Everything I love about the guy. I mean, he's never a guy I could be, but it's like, oh, I love guys like this. It's like, I am so confident. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's, a, it's almost like a film school unto itself because it's there Tom Clancy saying, none of this none of this is realistic at all. Yeah. And then you think, think of it in a film director wise, like, why does a bomb have a timer on it? To display information to the audience very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, Tom. They don't put time clocks on bombs. But Tom, we don't have time to explain that to an audience. And that's why it's bullshit. Because <laughs> there should be like, you know, uh, what's his name? Who's the actor who played Jack Ryan in that? Uh, the famous guy. Goodwill uh, Hunting. Uh, ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. Yeah, Ben Affleck should like have a 30-minute exposition dialogue about it doesn't have a timer, but this is what it means, you know, and it's like, yeah, they're never going to do that. I mean, some people like me would be like, that was the best acting of his career right there, but other people would be like, this is boring. Is someone going to fart or take their top off cuz I I can't listen to this <laughs> for any length of time. Tom Let's get moving. Here. We're not even past like the credits yeah. yet. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm sorry. Cinematographer uh, is Jan DeBot, who worked a lot with John McTiernan. He did, yes. he did cinematography with uh, on Die Hard, uh, and he does a lot of action stuff. Isn't Speed what made him famous? I mean, he also worked with uh, Paul Verhoeven a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't do RoboCop because well, yeah, we've heard of Jan... Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jan DeBot, like, couldn't work with him on RoboCop because Jan DeBot had already moved over to being a, uh, in the union for, <laughs> for making movies. Oh, and okay. He wasn't yet, so he couldn't work on RoboCop with him. Uh, but yeah, then... Don't be Jan a scab, Jan. <laughs> uh, Jan DeBot did get, get to move on to direct his own movies, and so his first movie he directed was Speed, and then he did Twister, and... Uh, I forget what ruined his career, but he, that was kind of it. <laughs> yeah, that was director's jail stuff. Yeah, <laughs> sad. But those were two wildly successful movies back to back, and then he never uh, did anything after that. Oh, that's the thing with directors: like today's heroes, tomorrow's zero. It's like, well, <laughs> you made three hundred million dollars like back to back, and uh, made one bomb. It's like, nope, you're done. <laughs> You're going to make a tornado movie with Michael Shannon, and if that doesn't work, you're done, and we're going to give you $5 million to make it work. Maybe it's like, uh, has anybody else seen the movie Card Counter? Yeah, I've just, seen that. Just came out where it's like the guy that worked at Abu Ghraib, and he's just like kind of weird and keeps to himself and just yeah. goes to casinos and <clears throat> where he's kind of like explaining like the background of like the World Poker Tour, like the people that play on it and their sponsors and He's like, look at that guy. He wins like all the time, but he's so far underwater, he'll never see the light of day. It's like maybe it's like that. <laughs> Just because he made two really good movies doesn't. Yeah, it's this guy's that. gonna win ten million dollars, but he's fifty million in the hole of the mob. Or I mean, it was. Yeah, I remember that movie. It was excellent. It's like, oh, that explains that whole universe to me. I used um, to think because I was a math dummy, it's like, damn, I'm missing out on something not being a professional <laughs> card player. And then I realized, oh, no, those people's lives suck. It's like, <laughs> they're worth less than you are. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I feel pretty good about myself now. All right, he's, he did Speed with success, Twister, big success. Then he did Speed 2, big flop. Yep. Then he did The Haunting, which I think was a mild success. And then he did the second Laura Croft movie, which I think was a bomb, and then that was it. They no. never directed ever again. Oh, the Haunting no. is not a. I mean, I know critically no one liked it. I didn't know financially it did. Well. I went to the theater to see that with Nathan and Stacy, and I f 
hated that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, is he still alive? Yeah, I believe so. This is my wife's thing with um, movies. Because believe it or not, everyone, I have a wife. I know she's never been on the show, and we've never talked about movies together, but <laughs> she's always like, yeah, this horror movie looks interesting, and I'm always like, you know, 90% of those suck. <laughs> and there's a reason why. It's because they're just like, that's what you call trailer bait, honey. It's like the trailer looks cool. They just showed you all the best scenes in the movie. And Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes horror movies, it's about the experience rather than the actual technical quality and craft of the movies. So. Well, I mean, that's what, I mean, she watches Halloween like 50 times a year. And she's like, I don't know why I like this movie so much. It's like because it's well written and directed and it's cool and everything works in it. Everything that should work in a horror movie is present in John Carpenter's original Halloween. That that's it. That's all you can say about it. That's why you watch it 50 times a year. Why do I watch Aliens like 12 times a year? That's because it works. Everything in it works. And everything yeah. else tries to copy it and fails. You know, and then I watch then I get into like Russian cinema and it's, it's like, hey, you want to watch this with me? No, Nathan, I don't why are we, this is like reading movie. Why are we doing reading movie? <laughs> it's like oh. Of course, the cast is Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, Scott Glenn, and a bunch of others we'll get to. So, so we have Act One. <laughs> we start. There's like a green monotone computer map. Uh, this is what I call was... Amiga Vision <laughs> for Amiga uh, computers. In case any of you, yeah, I never used one. I remember I, I, we had like an Apple IIe. I think it is yep. that always had the green screen. Yep. So it's kind of like that. Apple IIe, uh, get... Apple IIc. We were the only kids that had computers when I was, like, young. It's like the Murphys have a computer at their house. And Dad was spending as much for those computers as we spend for computers now. Yeah. No, I mean the same money. The same money. They were $2,000 back then. Yeah, Yeah. and Dad was like, you got to have one. And I would bring printed off stuff to school. And they'd be like, this doesn't count. What is this? It's like, no, I did this on the computer. I read the book and typed it in. You can't do this, Nathan. Like, Dad had to call the school. And be like, no, he he did the work. Because they thought, like, I don't know what they thought. Like, somebody else did it or it wasn't legitimate. And that was the kind well, of printing where you had the the paper had the holes in it. Yeah, a dot matrix. Yeah, and it would advance the thing, and you had to peel that off. And I would turn that in. It was, like, double space. And it was like, this is a book report. No, Nathan, you can't do this. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I mean, it's not like the internet existed like it does now where you can just find a copy of it or get checked. Yeah, there was no internet here. We were just... <laughs> You're going to get somebody no, else. we want it. this written in incomprehensible cursive. I yeah. blame Hollywood because they just made the computers seem like they could do homework for people, so they just thought computers are doing that. Well, you got to remember, like, when I was a kid, like, I had dyslexia or something was wrong. There's was, there was a reason I'm the person I am today, and it was some kind of learning disabilities or whatever. But it's like, oh, if it came to computers and I could type it in... I would suddenly like, oh, I'm reading Moby Dick because I can do this cool computer thing where I can type it in. It's not that I was cheating or getting it off the internet or anything. And yeah, nobody accepted it. Uh, we got titles says in November of 1984, shortly before Gorbachev came to power, a typhoon class Soviet sub surfaced just south of the Grand Banks. And in in, it then sank in deep water, apparently suffering a radiation problem. Unconfirmed reports indicated some of the crew were rescued, but according to repeated statements by both Soviet and American governments, nothing of, of what you're about to see ever happened. <laughs> so I forgot this was supposed to take place in 1984. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was right at the height of the late Cold War. This was the but day like, after Cold War. 
is what I well, call I get, it. Well, because like it takes place, you know, it got released in the 90s, you know, to me, and like all the technology in this movie is pretty advanced for even where it's supposed to be 1984. I yeah. thought it was just the 90s whenever I watched this movie. No, nope, 1984. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I guess we never asked. Do you remember? Do you remember the hype for this movie? Like how it was like kind of put out there? Because like you'd have to probably have like the adverts in like '89 or something, right? Yeah, I do, I remember? do remember some trailers. Okay. Uh, and the trailers were basically like the cool intro scene where Ramius and um, Sam Neill <laughs> were talking on the deck, and it you know it would switch. It would like the the title card would come up like the hunt for red October in Russian, and then yeah. it would it would swing through and it would be the people singing the Russian national anthem, and like I remember those trailers, and it it was, it was like a super submarine and you know. <laughs> also, I really the poster is really cool. It, it, it's just yeah. like it's red monotone, red and black like monotone. I guess that's technically two tones. Uh, you got you got Connery's face like kind of in a black sun almost and then you have like the mask sticking up out of like kind of a corner of the thing and you know it's the cool but also crimson tide has like kind of a very similar poster yes, where it's all red it does and not coincidentally but, <laughs> but the i got the the 4k and they've switched it to this thing yeah it's blue the, the new one's Al weird on it. yep <laughs> Yeah, that guy who shot someone. Um, yeah, <laughs> he shoots someone in the submarine. And he shoots someone in real life. It's cool. <laughs> I'm sorry, so, that's an asshole thing to say, but oh, we'll get those jokes later on. Don't worry. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna forget about them, but yeah. Uh, yeah, we get a close up of Connery's playing Marco Ramius. Uh, titles: Polinari, Polyarni Inlet, north of Soviet subbase near Murmansk. Polyarni. Polyarni. Yeah. Uh, speaking in Russian, they're speaking in Russian about like being a cold morning. Uh, they're actually you know, speaking in gibberish, but oh, okay. not really important. Well, they, they, they try to limit Connery speaking Russian as much as because he doesn't do a great job at it. So they're like having to use as few words as possible. <laughs> yeah, I know because he's doing Russian in a Scottish accent. <laughs> so Sam Neill, they're about that. He's like Captain uh, Borden, Sam Neill's character. So they're on the conning tower and they're talking and it's like a giant, it's a giant Russian missile sub being escorted by like tugboats or something. Yeah. Um, in real life, this thing was just, they cladded, they cladded up a uh, barge to look like a submarine that was like surfaced on the surface, but they did, they made it oblate. That means like where it's, it's uh, flat on the top and bottom, but like curved on the sides, which is how Russian subs are made. So genuinely. Right, let's or take a Russian missile subs. Let's take a book break here. Um, <laughs> this uh, the the Typhoon class submarine, which is a which for those who don't know is called a boomer, which is a <laughs> nuclear missile launching submarine. This was the response to the. Uh, this was um, commissioned in 1974. It was a response to the Ohio class submarine, which was. The, the most famous thing about the Ohio-class submarine was the number of missiles it carried and MERV warheads. You could literally, like, destroy the United Kingdom with one Ohio-class submarine with MERV warheads because it could just hit every city and everything. We had, like, 20 of the damn things. <laughs> so the, uh, the Russians made the Typhoon-class, which was much larger than the Ohio-class, had more missiles, 
but also when it was running sounded like a cement mixer with sledgehammers in it <laughs> spinning around um which was it was very easy to track but it was scary because it was big and it had more missiles this is the russian like what i call the russian um penis analogy it's like ours <laughs> is bigger and harder and has more but it sucks. Like the Ohio class, the Ohio class can maintain a longer erection and satisfy a woman, but the Typhoon class is bigger and harder. Uh, it was also a double-hulled submarine made out of titanium, only because not because the Russians are scientific geniuses, but because they have all the world's titanium reserves. So why not? Uh, well, also, the, their metallurgy was not as good, so they had to use two hulls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there was a lot of... Um, this was, I mean, this was con commissioned in the Brezhnev era. Like, this was commissioned the year I was born. So it was like, in the Brezhnev era, they decided the Typhoon is the reaction to the Ohio class, which is quieter than the... Uh, what, did the what did they have to make? There's a term. It was called hole and ocean sonar. So to detect the Ohio class... You couldn't look for the presence of sound. You had to look for the absence of sound. That was what the Russians had to invent. You essentially couldn't detect the Ohio class. To this day, you cannot detect the Ohio class. It's still, still in service. The typhoons are done. They're not in service anymore. The Ohios are still in service. They're getting replaced now because they were introduced, like, again, the year I was born, and I'm pretty old. So they're, they're, they're showing their age. But, yeah, so this was the reaction to that. Now, not the one portrayed in the movie, though. Where they had well, a magneto hydrodynamic is... quiet drive, like no, the Russians didn't have anything like that. But. Well, even its size, they they compare it to a typhoon, but it's actually bigger than the typhoon in sort of the story. It's bigger than a typhoon. It's bigger than the USS Enterprise was in World War Two. That's how <laughs> big this thing is. And the typhoons are generally bigger than that, but this one's like thirteen meters longer, which, you know, for for our American fans would be like thirty two feet longer. Um, <laughs> Roughly, um, uh, they prepare to dive, and then the the kind of the Russian titles come in, and then they, they morph into English and the hunt for the Red October. Best title sequence ever in movie history, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Also, like, just a great name for a movie. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> the hunt for Red October. Because if you know anything about Russian history, like the, no, number one, they didn't name their submarines after things like we did. They, they were always like Project 241, Plan 239. Sometimes they had names, but usually they were not. So that was purely an American thing. Like, oh, they're going to name this after the October Revolution that established the Communist Party in, so, in Russia, you know, what became the Soviet Union. But, yeah, in reality, you know, this was, these, were known as Aku, these were known as Akulas in, in the Soviet Union. Which basically, like, all the peasants rise up and kill all the... All the uh, the the Bourgeois aristocracy, right? Yeah, so the October like... Revolution. Uh, la, la, la. The, the October Revolution was yeah with the rise of communism, and the overthrow of the uh, Russian. Uh, you know. Uh, so let's say if you compare family. that to like the the Americans are the rich ones that don't care. It's like we're going to come to destroy them. So that's you know kind of like things you could. Yeah, yeah. Then we basically have like a subtitle sequence. We get a shot of like it's like just a painting of wood ships like fighting each other there's a bunch of books and a computer with like 3d images of a submarine and then we pan to an angry daughter and then we it's alec baldwin as jack ryan the first movie film depiction of jack ryan yeah and the best as far as i'm concerned <laughs> and i like harrison ford but 
this was yeah. actually closer to what Jack Ryan was in the books for me. So well, because Alec Baldwin's a smart guy, you believe him when he says smart stuff. Yeah. So yeah. which not everybody can do that. <laughs> no, Alec Baldwin was the is the only Jack Ryan as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> He's the closest to the character. I like Harrison Ford as an actor. But yeah, this was the best Jack Ryan. The only. Well, what's Jack your thought Ryan. on John Krasinski? Let's let's rate all the Jack Ryan. <laughs> I mean, John, like I said, they've 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 John Krasinski's perfect because they've up, you know, they've up timed it. They've made it into a modern Jack Ryan. Like John Krasinski is the perfect modern Jack Ryan. But the original, yeah. like '80s Jack Ryan, it's always going to be Alec Baldwin for me. Okay. When I think of I, Alec Baldwin, I think of Hunt for Red October. That's why when I see this fat, drunk Irish guy talking about, like, <laughs> shooting people and it's like, I made her famous. It's like, I don't really, I kind of dissociate. Like, okay, yeah. Um, I, I never saw the Chris Pine movie they made that was basically, wasn't based on any book. It was just the Jack Ryan character, so I don't know anything about that. No, uh, it doesn't work for me. And Ben Affleck's depiction is, like, Ben Affleck is a smart guy, but for some reason he doesn't act well on screen being smart so it didn't really work out no he seems like a frat guy that they get i'm sorry grayson he seems like a frat guy that they gave lines to it's like okay i don't, I don't believe this guy but uh what, what about chris pine i Did the, i didn't like movie? it yeah i saw the movie it's bad it was real bad i didn't like it <laughs> i do like the krasinski jack ryan because a modern jack ryan as a war on terror jack ryan i believe him. <laughs> And he's a good actor. Yeah, I've only seen like half of the first season. It was okay. Yeah, I, I saw the first season. Like I thought it was fine. I had no desire to see any of the other ones. I've, I've watched them all. As soon as they come out, I watch them. I like Krasinski. I always have. Because I always think of him as the character from The Office. It's like, oh, this is fun. Except now he's wearing a gun and killing people. Yeah, <laughs> but not really, and then, reluctantly. And I like that. Oh. And then there's that, there's that Michael B. Jordan one that's based on the Tom Clancy verse that I hear is terrible. It's oh like God, yeah that's it's not a good one though i forget what it's, it's like no return or something like that yeah yeah it's no return. Uh, is it no return i thought it was no return i watched it it was i can't remember on what now i think it's netflix yeah yeah it's um here michael b jordan did i spell that all wrong nope there we go without remorse he plays john kelly which is a clancy character yeah I mean, the only good scene in it was he floods his prison cell and beats up a ton of riot officers. And that was pretty cool. But other than that, yeah, not a a good movie. No, I mean, for for me, like you know, as a, as a Clancy aficionado who's read all of the books that he actually wrote, I'm not talking about the extended Clancy verse with all the weird <laughs> writers. Is like there's two there's two Jack Ryan's for me. There's Alec Baldwin and there's John Krasinski, and that's it. I don't. And, and like I said, it's it's hard for me to say that about Harrison Ford because I really like him. But <laughs> it's it's like no, Alec I Baldwin mean, was chronologically Jack Ryan's story or all the characters played by accurate age people in those movies yeah. or TV shows. Because because I've never seen Patriot Games or Clear and Present Danger. I've only seen some of all fears, seen the newer one with Chris Pine, seen the ripoff one with Michael B. Jordan, and now most of Hunt for Red October, and then. Obviously, there's Splinter Cell and Rainbow Six and stuff like that for video game properties. So yeah, I don't uh, like you know just as a purist of the novels, I, I like those two Jack Ryan's, and that's it. Clear and Pleasant Danger had a great like uh, convoy attack scene, 
That that's what's cool about those suburbans getting hit with RPGs. That's the coolest part <laughs> of clear and present danger. Uh, everything else was kind of uh, overwrought. But yeah, well, and also it's also fantasy for people. It's like yeah, there's all these drugs in Mexico. Let's send special forces down there to control it. Yeah, that's worked out well. <laughs> it's really stopped the drug flow into America. Um, I could clearly see this is a success, but and we also have Gates McFadden playing his wife, which is probably her other biggest role she ever had yeah other than star trek it's like dr crusher's like married to jack ryan cool <laughs> and she's british <laughs> and she's british for a change she only in the movie for like the opening scene yeah yeah pretty I mean, much i was gonna say i was like i didn't see her in the ending that you're i mean yeah i mean it's kind of like in the books too but in the books is you know it's like oh she's a doctor and accomplished she's not no. just jack ryan's wife no she's, she's like makes just... more money than him <laughs> she's like, she's yeah, just... jack ryan's kind of a loser who reads a lot of books <laughs> yeah she's like um an eye doctor or whatever but she leaves optician or something yeah but she leaves the uk because you know they have social medicine and stuff and <laughs> tom clancy doesn't like that and it's like well their class system holds them back and that's why you know she had to move to america to be a real woman it's like oh is that why tom clancy okay cool <laughs> as long as you say so jack gets called away so he's on a plane and he can't sleep and he explains why although he's he weirdly is like being it's a really w weirdly written scene where he has to explain what turbulence is to a student. Yeah, it's strange. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is like mansplaining in the 80s. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to be real condescending to you because you work on aircraft, but I'm going to explain, like, tectonic plates and the earth cooling and heating. And it's like, okay, weird. Again, that, like, it, the reality of the scene that seems stupid, but it's like, oh, and to the audience, it's like, oh, this guy thinks beyond just things happening. He, like, kind of, like, gets into the uh, details and how things works so that's a, and it shows him like oh he's restless and he doesn't like you know he's not an action hero yeah there's no <laughs> idle time with jack ryan his mind <laughs> is always spinning and he can't wait to explain to an airline you know to someone who's worked in <laughs> aviation for 30 years about how turbulence works <laughs> Uh, he gets pulled into a CIA office I, I assume it's supposed to be Langley but I don't think they actually put up titles where it is no like, I don't know I assume there's other CIA offices. I actually don't know. <laughs> there is. There's one down the road from my house. I've been taking pictures of for years. Um, <laughs> not. Uh, we got James Earl Jones as Admiral Greer, who Which played is cool. in the Harrison Ford ones. Yeah. yeah. So. James Earl Jones in a movie is always cool. Whether yeah. it's Conan the Barbarian or this, it's like, oh, he's <laughs> cool. Or Field of Dreams, you know. Or Field of Dreams or Darth Vader, whatever. It's like James Earl Jones has been a part of my life. Was he in Sandlot? Was he like the blind neighbor in Sandlot? I can't remember. Yeah, he, James Earl Jones was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that one you got me on. I don't remember that one. Oh, I mean, that was a kid's movie, so you're probably a teenager by then. <laughs> Didn't want to watch a movie about 10-year-olds playing baseball in the backyard in the 70s. <laughs> probably not. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I was in my deep asshole phase by then, so it probably wasn't something I'd watch. Uh, they kind of go over like Jack's family. It's like, hey, how's the family? And he's like, uh, my daughter wants a, wants us to buy a child so she can have her brother. She's a precocious uh, six year old <laughs> who's concerned who's concerned about our reproductive, uh, you know, activities. <laughs> well, she thinks it's a bank transaction. So. <laughs> yeah. So she's, uh, she's way ahead of her time. Jack has photos of a new, bigger Russian submarine with mysterious doors on it. It's kind of weird that he's no Greer has Greer. photos. Of oh Greer, okay. Um, that's why I was like weird because I was like Greer always knows everything. Why is Jack bringing it to him? So okay, all right, that makes sense. 
Well, no, because no, because doesn't Jack point out the doors? He's like, I don't know what these are. Yeah, so no, Greer has the photos that he shows them to Jack, and he's like, oh, okay. what is this for a vertical launch? Why would you launch a missile vertically where the submarine would have to, like, stand up? Oh, horizontally. Horizontally. Yeah, yeah. horizontally, yeah. And it's like, oh, you wouldn't because <laughs> that would be stupid. Want to nuke the coast. <laughs> that would be stupid. Um, the coast is toast. <laughs> then we cut to dark waters. We have a sub rolling through. It was cool how they shot because there's always a problem for shooting submarines on movies because, like, if you just put a model in, like, a tank, the lighting always looks wrong because like under the ocean, there's kind of like little light. And yeah. There's no light. Blue. No, a lot uh, of people hated this movie. They said, Oh, the interiors of the submarines were great, but the exteriors <laughs> were awful. It's like, they're in a world like they're, they're in more like space than they are. <laughs> like, you know, when you think like Naval stuff, you're thinking like ships at sea above the water. It's yeah. like, no, these things are down where light doesn't penetrate. <laughs> actually, if they shot the submar submarine scenes like they really looked, it would just be like a black screen. Yeah. Because that's why these people are always yelling out like, oh, it's at 300 meters and closing fast. <laughs> it's like, we can't see it because there's no light down here. But, you know, yeah. running lights on the sh on the submarine. Yeah. so We can see them. <laughs> yeah. Turn on the Enterprise lights so we can see the like name of Red October with the hammer and sickle. It's like, no, dumbass. There's no light down there. <laughs> oh, I mean, they act like they're only going like 100 feet down or something like that. The submarine is like fully submerged. <laughs> but but the, the effects for this were done by ILM. And the way they achieved it is they had models and they basically filled a room with like smoke or um, dry ice and kind of colored it and then just kind of filmed the ships flying through the dry ice and it looked more realistic even though it was still kind of dark and hard to see yeah i mean i like the submarine effects for this movie because i understand yeah. you know I, I i don't understand i've never been on a submarine but it's like <laughs> i could imagine the only environment more dangerous uh there's no environment human beings operate in more dangerous than submarines like the International Space Station, that is safer than a attack submarine in the U.S. Navy. Like, because in the International Space Station, if you leave a door open or something, it's like, oh, you can seal off other hatches. Like, we know from, like, Americans working with the Russian mirror station, it's like, oh, yeah, that completely, like, decompressed, and the guy walked through a room with no helmet <laughs> and was fine. Try that on a submarine. It's like, no, they'll sink immediately. <laughs> and the air will catch on fire and weird shit like that you're under <laughs> hundreds of thousands of pounds of pressure per square inch um so yeah like like submarines are more dangerous than outer space like people don't understand <laughs> that you say you say that to people and they're like oh you're dumb it's like no no i've read a lot of books about this and it's actually true <laughs> um it's like right, everything wants to catch on fire everything wants to explode yeah. everything wants to crush you it's yeah. it's and if you leave the door open, I mean, look at the USS Thresher. It's like, oh, we didn't build the baffles high enough for, like, an explosive decompression to, like, bring the ship back up. It's like, no, it just sunk down to the bottom of the ocean. The smartest people in the world designed it. It still killed, like, 200 people. <laughs> but it's like, ah, no, it's not. Space is more dangerous. It's like, no, it's just in space no one can hear you scream. <laughs> but, yeah. So Aliens reference, everyone. Pay attention. Um, it's the USS Dallas. It's a Los Angeles class attack sub, 100 miles north of Polyarney Inlet. Still our most common to this day class of attack submarine. Very old, but still, still abundant. 
Well, if you're gonna spend a billion dollars on something, you might well just keep it around. Oh, those weren't a billion dollars. That's that's the oh, new ones. Weren't. No, no, the oh, new okay. ones are like a billion dollars. Uh, we got the lead uh, sonar man teaching seaman bowman sonar. Here, I don't necessarily understand because they're calling everyone seaman. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that that was like that's like your first rank, or at least as far as I know. Again, I'm almost weird with navy rank, so I don't know. But I think actually he's like. Uh, Jones is supposed to be like a chief petty officer, which is kind of like along with like sergeant ranks or commission or non-commissioned yeah. officers. And I don't know anything about he, the military, so it's like, yeah, it's <laughs> fine with me, whatever you say. Well, also like in the book, they don't explain it, but like Jonesy is like he has like a bunch, he has like a doctorate in like audio science, and he has yeah, like, he's a like bunch some of like MIT guy or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they don't explain that here. No, in the book they do. Yeah. Because this guy designed the software, but he's still like a, basically an enlisted guy. Yeah. Because he wants to like after his Navy career, like launch into, you know, like all kinds of money working for basically uh, the people that construct submarines, which would be General Electric at that time. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's. But if you're an officer, you couldn't do that. It's explained in the book. But yeah, it's why Jonesy is like a doctorate and. <laughs> He's, he's like a soup. He's like got a high Q of 170, but they don't explain it in the movie at all. <laughs> in the movie, he's just like someone who likes like Paganini. It's not yeah, he's clear. Just an audi- he's just an audiophile. Yeah, yeah. He just basically. enjoys everything. And understand, we're wearing better headphones now than they had back then. <laughs> yeah, he had some Sony ones that look kind of nice. <laughs> he had the MD500AH Studio, which actually in 1984 didn't exist, but it's an anachronism <laughs> thing. I think me and Mark uh, talked about this because Mark's an audio engineer and he knew all about that. I, I actually didn't know that until he explained it. Uh, Seaman Beaumont, he's teaching him, Jones is teaching him sonar. They're like, oh, you just found a whale. He's like, oh, okay. Uh, there's kind of a little story about him like playing music, but then it gets cut off because they get a contact. And it's like a missile boat coming out, oh, Polly Arney. And then we cut to the Red October. It's like noisy and busy. Like all the people are running around setting things up. Ramius is just walking around observing people. And then Ramius goes to his crew quarters where the political officer is waiting for him. So he never now let's uh, let's pause here. I'm going to try to stop doing this as much, but let's pause <laughs> here and say the name say the name of the political officer because it's weirdly um, prophetic. Captain Second Rank Ivan Yurovich Putin was the, <laughs> the Zampolit or political officer of the Red October. Uh, so Putin's involved. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, just weird. It's, it's actually a pretty common Russian surname. But although here he's an innocent victim, <laughs> or is he? <laughs> the political offer is like he—he's reading a thing. I forget what he's reading. He's reading it in Russian, and then it zooms in on his mouth, and then it switches to English, and it zooms back out. So now everything's in English for the rest of the movie. Thank oh, God. <laughs> well, he said the the transition changes on the word Armageddon because the. The pronunciation is a little bit different in Russian, but it's the same. It's about the same. Yeah, it sounds about the same in Russian. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Also, I, I get. I thought this was the first time it happened because he also uses he uses the same thing in Thirteenth Warrior. But I guess he said he got this from uh, a movie called Judgment of Nuremberg. Okay, uh, they do the same thing there. So he just took it. He did the, the zoom in, zoom out, change to English thing. He did that exactly. I've that. seen that movie. I didn't know they were related, but now that you mention it, it's like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so they were speaking German and they zoomed in. Okay, cool. Because <laughs> I always associate with this with being the leader. Because, like, you, 
I figured like most movies should do this because the reason you do that is like to try to be authentic is like well these people should be speaking Russian not like English accented German or whatever you know, yeah you got going on movies where you have British playing all different people <laughs> um so here you give them like okay we're speaking Russian at first uh, and then we switch over so everyone can speak in the natural accent. So like, you know, one guy can be Scottish, the other guy could be, you know, just regular British and all that stuff. So. Australian or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Sam well, I guess like, lost, like Australian, right? Yeah. Is he, or, I or can't is he New Zealand? Zealand. I don't remember. I can't remember. Um, I, someone explained to me the difference. Okay. <laughs> Geographic. Different land masses. Yeah. Slightly different, you know, saying stuff. Yeah. I don't. It's it, for Americans. It's easier to confuse it, and Australians bigger, so you just naturally go for Australian. Yeah, because we have uh, to fly like twenty hours on an aircraft to get there. It's like we're <laughs> never gonna know. I don't even um, leave my home state anymore. So, how do I know? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. The, the the thing he's reading is like talking about Armageddon, and the guy's like a man with your responsibilities reading about the end of the world. It's like that guy seems kind of suspicious. And then he's like, he's like, he highlighted this stuff. And so basically the guy's spying on the captain. Yeah. And he's even the captain's like, hey, what, don't I get any privacy? It's like, well, how's that help out the collective cause if you have privacy? Anyways, he's like, anyways, I didn't underline that shit. my wife did. You oh. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Zampoli was real. That was a real uh, guy on the that was outside of the normal chain of command but had like a rank um of of like captain or what or whatever um that that was a real thing in the soviet system they were basically ideology coaches that um because they still believed like the revolution was real and evolving uh it's very sad uh because it wasn't <laughs> but you know. that, yeah that'd be like the military having like democracy officers <laughs> yeah it'd be weird here because we all know it's like oh <laughs> We're actually based on Britain, so we understand irony. But you know, uh, it's Radius just like when they show like B fifty two bombers being loaded with bombs. It's like here's a load of freedom for you. Like we accept that here. It's like yeah, okay, we know, but not in Russia in the Cold War in the Soviet Union. Uh, it's like no, no, it's deadly serious. It's like oh, you can't possibly be serious, but yes, we are. Uh, Ramius asks how many KGB officers are hidden aboard, and the, the political officer doesn't know, and he said they wouldn't tell him anyways. Um, so there's like you know multiple things working against him here. <laughs> it's like the KGB is like working against him, and the PO is working against him, the political officers. Well, it establishes things for later in the movie. It's like yeah. oh yeah, we're we're completely infiltrated, and we know why. <laughs> they open up the orders box, so like the political officer has a key, and he has a key, which I guess are also these are also the missile keys as well so yes um uh they're to rendezvous with an alpha submarine due north and tupolov is the captain of the alpha uh the alpha gets a lot more stuff in the book because it explains like it's like this you know it's this very fast attack submarine that has a special nuclear reactor that's like cored by graphite <laughs> graphite moderated reactor i believe yeah um uh, but they don't really go through that that here it's just i mean like, the, the truth of the alpha is it's a it's a it's what they call a lead bismuth reactor where it uses liquefied lead as a moderator and it's just like that's the heat exchange between that and water uh and the alphas were faster than our mark 48 submarine or torpedoes at the time but the problem was if you use liquid lead as a as a uh, uh you know heat transfer 
you have to keep things at the temperature of liquefied lead all the time. Otherwise, <laughs> it will just freeze up and lock up the reactor. So, the liquor officer wants to like broadcast the orders to the crew because like this is a new ship. So it's uh, yeah. And then and then Ramius is kind of like regretful, and then he like kills the political officer by like bashing his neck against the table. And, yeah. I don't know, breaking his neck and severs the third vertical server, uh, third okay. vertical uh, vertebrae, vertebrae. <laughs> cervical vertebrae. Yeah, yeah, that. Uh, then we cut to graving dock number four, U.S. Naval Shipyards, Patuxent, Maryland. How do you say that? Patuxent. Patuxent, Maryland. Okay. Yeah. Jack is watching them put together a U.S. sub. Jack meets with Skip. This this is probably by Jeffrey Jones. This is the alleged pedophile. Alleged. Like I said, don't come after my $4,000. He's a $4, ginger. He's a pedophile. <laughs> ah, is that the standard? <laughs> hey, you know, most famous. Well, for me, the most famous is probably in the, you know, the creepy uh, principal in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So. Yeah. Where he's chasing underage kids around. <laughs> yeah, see, I always think of him as Skip Tyler, the guy in the wheelchair um, at the graving yards in you know, Patuxent, Maryland. But yeah, <laughs> well, he's not in a wheelchair. He has a cane though, because he lost the leg from a drunk driver. That's why he's like building submarines rather than driving them or whatever. Oh, okay. Is that and this, huh? That's just his cover story. He was beat to death by somebody for being a table to kid in his bathing well, and one thing this movie does get right, though, uh, from everything I've read from all the fiction, nonfiction, etc., is people that command submarines are the smartest people in the world. Yeah. Like, it's like, there's no doubt that these people are <laughs> geniuses because you're basically fighting stopwatch warfare. And so, and that, that sub they're building, that's a real sub. They let them shoot <laughs> a sub being built. They didn't let them show the propellers because they said that was proprietary. Yes. But... Everything I, else. They I can them. tell you a story about that if you're interested, uh, right. or not. Uh, in the eight, uh, remember the TV show The Americans? Yeah. Okay. Remember we had this uh, supposed like um, submarine. Uh, they call them screws. <laughs> we call them propellers, but you know they yeah. call them screws because it's got to sound interesting and vaguely dirty because it's naval. Um, we we supposedly had this fake uh, submarine screw that was. Uh, I forget what it was. It was like super quiet or whatever. And we, it, we set up this fake company to make it or whatever. It was completely defective. It would just shatter under load. But we <laughs> conned the Russians into believing it's like, oh, this is a silent screw we have. And you can, uh, you know, you can't detect the submarine. So they immediately sent people in to steal the designs or whatever. And they, they made, you know, one of these propellers or whatever. And it just shattered and like sunk the submarine. <laughs> <laughs> Killed like 180 people or whatever. It's like. Oh, we did it completely as a ruse because uh, it was designed to fail under any kind of load. And we knew the Russians, you know, couldn't come up with anything good. So they just steal our. And, uh, yeah. So it was a good way to kill oh, yeah. 200 people and sink a, you know, a couple billion dollars a, in state money. That's a fascinating way to mislead people and make them. <laughs> oh, we did evil like that all the time with the, especially the Soviets, because it's like. Yeah, we always make the Soviets, especially like in this movie, it seems like, oh, they're super science people. They understand science at a level we don't. They have access to all these rare earth metals we don't. It's like we're barely keeping up with these guys. They're going to conquer us at any time. That was the whole conceit of like the late Cold War. It was like the Russians are, are just that much ahead of us where we have to, you know, we have to spend all this money. 
uh, which was the important thing, by the way, uh, to keep ahead of the Russians. But the reality was they, they were terrible at everything. <laughs> they didn't have this drive system, this Caterpillar drive. No, they didn't have it. didn't exist. I mean, if it did, we would have it. We would have <laughs> wasted billions of our own taxpayer dollars to try to make this thing work that never worked. But, yeah, in the, in the Russian system, it was uh, – we always believed that they were uh, – or the propaganda was always they were one step ahead of us. But the reality was they were like they were in the 50s and we were in the 90s. Uh, I remember Charlie Wilson board was one of the CIA guys. His thing he'd do in the Vietnam War was like, like, oh, they're creating propaganda back at their bases. And so he would sell used typewriters that had C4 in them with a remote charge and like, <laughs> back to the base and blow it up. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. <laughs> for anyone who does for anyone who wants to know why these shows exist um read all the tom clancy novels and then read charlie wilson's war and then understand like oh we just got inspiration from all this stuff <laughs> because the soviet union was terrible they didn't have any technology like this they were not ahead of us they're way behind us i mean they had a lot of destructive i mean and don't get, ever get me wrong um because I know a lot of the history guys would just assault me if they ever bother, bothered. Well, they got they could build the f out of aircrafts and they make the best rocket engines in the world. Yeah, I mean so. they they did have some things that they could do, <laughs> but they also. Well, let's just digress and let's go, let's go into some Soviet history with Nathan because um, <laughs> this is the part of the podcast that everyone loves. Um, so say you were going to build this submarine, it, it's the best submarine in the world, and it has. Let's say the Caterpillar drive was real and the Russians could make it work. But let's say they could. Okay, you, and then you would turn it over to guys who, electricians, welders, whatever. you got to understand, in the Soviet times, the, the, the electricians, the welders, they made the same rate of pay no matter where they were in the Soviet Union, whether they were at, like in Moscow or they were at the other side of the you know, Soviet Union by you know Japan or whatever. They all... They all got the same amount of money. And so, you know, there, there's a term. Oh, what was it called? In the Russian economy, you were better off working in the meat factory or the vodka factory than you were in the submarine factory because it was based <laughs> on what you could steal from work. Because everyone, like I said, everyone got paid the same. If you were, if you were an electrician or a welder, you got paid the same no matter where you worked. So everyone wanted to work in the meat factories and the food factories and the vodka factories. Because you could, it was a lot easier to steal meat and vodka than it was a <laughs> submarine. Okay, yeah, can't eat a can't eat a welding rod for much. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, during the time where this would happen, you you had this term. I'm trying to find. It wasn't like sabotage. It was like a Russian term. I think it was like selka or something, and it meant carrier. It didn't mean like saboteur or thief. It meant the guys who carried stuff out of work. So, you know, even if you could build the like the best thing in the world, like the best tank, the best submarine, whatever, it was like, oh, you didn't have the best people in those plants. You had the worst people because all the smart electricians, they worked at the vodka plant. They worked at the meat plant. And this is during the Soviet time. I don't know what it's like now. It's probably the same <laughs> but or something like it. But it's like, yeah, you could never make stuff like this in the Soviet Union because no matter how many geniuses contrived all this stuff, you could never make the guys actually do 
the work where it would matter. It's like it was the best blueprint you've ever seen. It was the worst follow through you've ever seen, too, <laughs> because we didn't have any economic incentives or not. We the Soviets didn't have any economic incentives to make it work because the guy who was making 300 rubles a year at the meat plant was also making 300 years, uh, uh, 300 rubles a year at the, uh, you know, the submarine plant. So you didn't get the best people at the submarine plant. As a matter of fact, you got the idiots at the submarine plant. <laughs> They're the worst electricians, the worst welders. <laughs> because the smart guys knew they could supplement their income at the vodka plant or the meat plant a lot better than they could at the tank plant or the submarine plant. So that's where the saying came from. It's like, oh, we have the most brilliant submarine ever put on blueprints welded together by drunks. <laughs> because, so it's like yeah none of this stuff ever worked and it was for a very that simple the electrician reason. sold to those guys yeah yeah I, I mean it was really simple economics and it's always these brutal economics that makes every that make everything work in this country or around the world it's like yeah this is why they lost because they sucked because it was like and, and if you put yourself in their situation it's like yeah i'm not going to act with any honor or anything else, it's like I'm gonna go where I can survive the best, which is the vodka plant, or the meat plant, or whatever. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm not gonna make the best tanks to defend the Rodina when I can, which means motherland, which when I can work at the, you know, like the meat plant and bring home sausages to my family or sell them <laughs> on the black market for three times their face value. <laughs> it is just like, yeah, that's where their whole system failed. That's why I think it's fun to talk to like the local commies I know in Ann Arbor about like, yeah, you know why the Soviet Union didn't work, right? You know, it's like, and I explain all this stuff and it's like, well, because the revolution didn't really get a chance there. It's <laughs> like, no, it's because that's always what the revolution is. Well, that's also why uh, Russians usually make very good computer programmers because they spend their entire lives subverting a control system. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're terrible at it. I mean, take it from someone who's dealt with unemployment for 25 years. It's like I'm always like approaching this like honest, you know, like uh, like, you know, George Washington. Like I cannot tell a lie. I cut down a cherry tree. It's like, no, if I approach this like a Russian, I would get twice as much unemployment because I know how to work around the system because the system isn't something in place to provide structural stability and organization. It's just corrupt and I need to work around. Yeah. It. The design system doesn't work. So you have to find workarounds. It's just why they're great at computer programming, <laughs> which is why Americans suck at computer programming. Cause we always like, no, no, if you follow the rules, everything works out fine, <laughs> which is something Americans are rapidly learning. Uh, it's not true. <laughs> Uh, they show off the DSRV, the rescue sub, which I think means deep sea rescue vehicle. Yeah, because American uh, acronyms are in, incredibly creative and original. <laughs> uh, Skip says, how's your back? It's a line we'll learn the backstory to later. Um, Skip's looking at the photos. He spots the doors in the photos, and he's, he's like, I think this is a Caterpillar drive. And he explains it being like a jet engine for the water, but it'd make the missile sub like nearly silent. Magneto hydrodynamic. Um, <laughs> which is gobbledygook that means nothing by the way yeah in case you're curious listeners well it sounds like i i hear magma and then like magnetic so it's like a lava magnet it's yeah. like okay <laughs> and so this basically just positions things like all oh, right this is a first strike weapon so this is a threat and all the threats heightened it's like okay this like there might be nefarious <laughs> well yeah it's always nefarious but it's like is this thing going to go out and nuke america which 
I guess because I know the plot twist the whole time, even though the plot twist comes up almost immediately. Like, well, you're supposed to think immediately. It's like, all of the bad Russians, they're coming to nuke America. We need to stop them. And the, the twist is, it's like, no, he's stealing the sub for America. Yeah. <laughs> he's freeing the world to death like we are. And I've never been able to watch that movie kind of like with those eyes. So I don't know like how, how that movie would come off being like a first time, like, oh, that be would that be subversive or whatnot? Just got to always know the twist. So. Well, that and reading the facts about the missiles they were equipped with, the Typhoon class, they could launch them from their from their base in the USSR and hit us in America, anywhere in America. So it didn't make any sense for them to drive closer if they just wanted to nuke us anyway. Well, I mean, less time to prepare. Well, yes, less time to prepare, more casualties, you know, blah, blah. But still, it's well, just like if the, if the threat was just nuclear, then it was always going to be. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the cynical truth about the Cold War, especially in the 70s and 80s, like any Russian preemptive attack on America would result in the literal genetic annihilation of the <laughs> Russian people from the world. And, you know, America, like having a few up harvest seasons and then back to normal it's like that's the reality now we always portrayed it like as if there was some like oh the russian sneak attack would subvert our way of life and destroy capitalism or whatever but no the reality was like oh they would be dead they would be dead three times over and we would probably like end up like brazil or something like we wouldn't be a we wouldn't be the country we are today but we wouldn't be like just you know disintegrated from the face of the earth yeah rebuild yeah um build back better we cut, <laughs> we cut to ramius is talking with dr petro who's played by tim curry uh which he, he does a fun job here because he basically has to play the guy who's not in the loop but it has a lot of responsibility yeah he's like a physician like he's smart yeah but he's not like ideologically committed to the rebellion or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he tells the doctor, the political officer slipped on tea and he's like, ah, oh, he's really sorry about this. I should have been more cleanly. <laughs> yeah. So they get the cook over to like witness Ramius taking the, the, the other key from the political officer, which is uh, just which pure is music movie magic to, you know, establish the cook as something important later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, presumably at this time, you're not supposed to know, like, this is supposed to be a dangerous thing, because even uh, Tim Curry's character is like, hey, you can't have both keys, because the reason we do that is so no one man can launch a nuclear weapon. And then Connery's just like, well, you don't trust me? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, yeah, he makes some comment about, like, I, I won't record your comments in my report later. It's like, yeah. wait a minute, he's, like, that's like basic doctrine of like the, the you know the dead man switch and the two man option is like which is well understood nuclear game theory. It's like he's not saying anything out of line. Like he's not like, no, this is counter revolutionary that you're uh, you know But also like the the uh Petrov is like, Well, we gotta stop this operation. He's like, This is a warship. We don't stop it just because somebody dies. Yeah. <laughs> this is Russia. Come on, people die all this time. <laughs> it's silent running. Um, you know, you know that. Come on. Then we cut to uh Jones is trying to figure out we're back in the, the Dallas and Jones is trying to figure out what they're listening to. Um the computer types it up as a new uh, typhoon class up because at this point the red october is running on its traditional screws <laughs> yep um then ramius gives a rousing speech to the crew and saying like they're going to surprise the americans for the glory of russia 
uh, by like popping up on the coast. Uh, We're going to listen to their group. rock and roll. <laughs> and, then, and then go to Havana, Cuba and hang out for vacation. <laughs> uh, then the Red October turns on its, ca- its Caterpillar drive and the crew sings. The Dallas loses the signal and they're also turning. So then they pick up that like, oh, we've been being followed this whole time. We didn't know because they were in their baffles. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then like the Sam Neill's character is like, sir the singing because they just like hey there's somebody listening to us we should probably be silent <laughs> and he's like ah, let them sing <laughs> yeah. and they're singing the Appar- russian national the soviet national anthem yeah apparently that was ad-libbed by connery but it's such a great line and it yeah. means a lot too so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh i guess all the crew here is also like apparently la had like a big contingent at the time of like russian immigrants and so those are all guys that were like from Russia and spoke Russian and stuff like that. So. Yeah, half of them were in the mob too. So. <laughs> uh, aside of that being the end of Act One, <laughs> Act Two, uh, we get some Russian like politician opens up a letter from from Ramius, and then he's shocked by what he reads. He spills his tea. <laughs> yeah, which is a cool uh, scene. Then we cut to Jack. Who, he's 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 getting surprised. That he's getting thrown into. Uh, a, let's let's a read briefing. that name real quick. This is Admiral Yuri Ilyich Podorin. Chief political officer of the Soviet Navy, oh, okay. Ramius's uncle, uh, in-law, <laughs> and the one who like helped his career. So that's who he sent um, the the letter to. Like, I'm defecting with this like really expensive submarine. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't know that yet. That's why it's like, why why this guy spills tea? Yeah, What's yeah. wrong? <laughs> uh, well, we do know it's a note. We do know it's from uh, Ramius. So that's all we know. It's like, oh. So. Because again, like that, just goes forward on the idea that you're supposed to think that he's a madman about to launch a start a nuclear war. So, which you never um, believe because it's Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah, his favorite <laughs> uncle, and you can't, can't do that. <laughs> Doctor, he defeated Doctor No. He's not going to. He's here to stop nuclear war. Yeah. <laughs> no, Mister Bond, I expect you to die. <laughs> Jack is surprised that surprise he's getting frozen. He's getting thrown into a briefing. That he didn't know was gonna happen, yeah. and he's the one presenting it. <laughs> yeah, that's a great line from Greer. It's like, who's given the briefing? It's like you are. <laughs> Again, that doesn't necessarily make sense in reality, but it's great for like just showing the character being like out of sync with stuff or just like one step off. It's like what? <laughs> What's well, the brilliance of Tom Clancy? Because it it, it 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 makes a a CIA Russia expert seem like an everyman. Yeah. it's like oh what if i had to present a you know whatever to the joint chiefs of staff and the president's like you know security advisor or whatever <laughs> it is it's like oh i would react that way too it's like yeah that's just amazing you know it's bull <laughs> but it's amazing but also shows the like how good his character is is he's able to wing this off and seem like a professional because he is a professional yeah he knows a lot. it's what everyone wants to be I mean, it's like literally he's the smartest guy in the room, so this is going to work anyways. <laughs> oh, he is. I mean, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's. I mean, that's Tom Clancy wrote this character after himself. Tom Clancy was the smartest guy in the room, uh, and and you know, and he he managed to it's make everyone crazy. else believe that they too were the smartest man in the room. Well, I hear they're complaining about the Russian fleet being sent out, and we're like, hey, that's a lot of ships being sent out. Do they know? I'm not sure if they know if they're being sent out after the Red October at this point. No, they, they don't know. know. Like, they just okay. it's like, oh, it's an exercise. Yeah. Um, the room thinks Ramius is going to start a nuclear war. Again, this is what you're supposed to think as the audience. 
Um, but then like the, the, and then there's all this yelling and then Ryan's just kind of talking to himself and he's just like, you son of a bitch. And they're like, what? He's like, he's going to defect. And it's like, you're a moron. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of believable. And so like the, the representative wants to send Ryan out on, uh, in the field to figure out what's going on to see if Ramus is going to defect to the U S and he's like, I'm just a field agent. Yeah. I'm an analyst. Uh, not a f- yeah. no. He says I'm an analyst. Not oh yeah, a- I'm an analyst, not a field agent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, always which been is- the Ryan thing. It's like I don't yeah, know yeah. how to shoot guns or be violent. Yeah, yeah. Jack Ryan's catchphrase is "I'm just an analyst," <laughs> which is uh, also which my it- catchphrase. I've adopted that. <laughs> uh, which is also like they do the exact same thing in the John Krasinski one, and then have him like you know, grab like two automatic weapons and just shoot up a whole lot. Yeah. I'm like... an analyst, but I also have like <laughs> Navy skill, Navy seal, like weapons skills. And yeah. <laughs> I understand like dynamic conflict at a, you know, interpersonal level. And it's like, I'm an well, analyst, I... but I'm also like John wick. If you need me to be. And well, for this one, they have it kind of like he was in the military, but got injured during training. So he didn't have any experience, but he did go through the training. Whereas in the new one, it's like he had way more in the field experience and then wasn't hurt in a training accident. He was hurt in the field. Like yeah. Fighting yeah. Or something like that. So that's why. Yeah. In this different. movie, it's like he's a, is a helicopter crash, like screwed his spine up or something. Yeah. Which is how it was uh, originally written. Oh. Yeah. Then we cut to Grid Square 5490 SSN Kanal Love uh, Alpha Class Soviet Sub. Captain Tupolov command, and here we got Stellan Skarsgård as Tupolov. Very young. Very yeah. young. <laughs> Can we go so up to yeah. 120% on the <laughs> reactor while we smoke? Uh, the Alpha heads out after the Red October with old coordinates, so he's like, ah, oh, we're behind! Uh, they're asking, like, what's going on? He's like, uh, this is kind of like, because I always, like, I, like, I guess on every viewing, I always took this as the evil sub, but here it's actually, it's it's a bit more ambiguous. He's like, we're going to kill an old friend. And he's all sad about it. So it's a bit more it like, it was, he's not just comically evil. He like, there, there is like kind of like, like a, uh, a juxtaposition. There's more to this character. Well, this is, yeah, this is where Ramius is established as like this, um, uh, like, like Lithuanian Yoda. <laughs> Cause they, it's like, Oh yeah. He's known as the, the Vilnius Nastavnia, which means like the Vilnius schoolmaster. <laughs> he's he's like he, he always teaches people through like he, he's always calm through their mistakes and uh yeah that was uh, well, also, yeah they captain point out tupolov's like, mentor like he was like yoda to captain tupolov. yeah 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 that's also something where it's like the kind of like uh like not the classism racism is probably wrong too but like that Ramius wasn't like full on Russian. He was born in Lithuania and kind of immigrated to Russia. Yeah, so. his grandfather was his guardian or whatever yeah. and raised him in Russia. Yeah. So they're, they're so it's like they're kind of positioning Ramius as like, oh, he's already like kind of like not a part of the group already. He yeah. Had, he's he's got a foot out the door for that. Yeah, they didn't exactly call him a Jew, but they. Uh, <laughs> <call him that. laughs> uh, there's well, no, community. that's that's Russia, dude. I mean, I'm not making that up. That's that's. Well, that's kind of everywhere. Huh? Yeah, I mean, now it's everywhere, but yeah, it's it's Russia. Um, there's a crew meeting. They kick out the the doctor because he's not a part of the conspiracy. Uh, I like how like the the like here it's it's not like all the the officers. You got like. But you do have like the head of the engineering and stuff who's always smoking and like all you got a kind of like difference between officers and a list of men all part of this group just 
having dinner together. So it's kind of interesting group, eclectic group. Uh, here, Ramius tells the men that the, like he told the Soviets that they're defecting. They're like, "What the hell did you just do? We can't go back now." And then he tells the story. He's like, "You know, when Cortez reached the New World, he burned his ships to to, to motivate his crew. Yeah, motivate his men. Yeah. Uh, he also says, like, hopefully, you know, you know, if we get the right guy, this will all work. But if we get some buckaroo, <laughs> buckaroo, yeah, it's like he doesn't know the word." That's it. <laughs> Uh, which I only know the word buckaroo from buckaroo bonsai, but is that what is buckaroo supposed to mean? Is that like a wild man or something like that? Yeah, I mean, just some pistol packing American, you know. Uh, okay. I mean, in this context, yeah, it's it's always like the wild American uh, cowboy, which only exists in 25% of the country, but that's become like our stereotype. Like, because <laughs> most Americans are like, they're either complete idiots or they're well read, like, you know, technicians. It, like yeah there's there's not a lot of uh middle middle ground there but yeah uh we cut to jack he's taking a military plane which i think it's like one of those radar planes or something that's going to land on the enterprise yeah <laughs> it, it's but it's here it's like it's even it's the most bumpy ride he has so far and he, we've already established he hates flying because of because of turbulence and here's like the most turbulent i like the pilot he's just yelling at him like hey man this guy he like threw up all over the plane and Jack's it was like, like yeah, that great. industrial strength puke you know like that real that great <laughs> or i don't I forget what he says but yeah now uh, we get titles uss enterprise in north atlantic east of nova scotia we got fred thompson shows up as the admiral on the enterprise yes um, who's a great actor but a terrible politician <laughs> and basically played the same role both times <laughs> Yeah, became a USS senator. I don't know why I said USS, just US senator. USSR <laughs> senator. Reichstag senator. Um, and then we cut to uh, Jones on the US on the USS Dallas. He's presenting evidence of the reactor to Captain Bart Mancuso, played by Scott Glenn. Best actor uh, in the movie, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah, I love Scott Glenn in this movie. <laughs> actually, actually played that like. I mean, I don't know. I've never known any submarine commanders, at least none that would admit it to me, despite all my probing questions I ask of everyone. But, uh, like, this guy, like, seems like the guy who would be like, oh, if I met a submarine commander, this would be the guy. Well, I mean, it's like, it, it's, well, that's why it breaks tradition for, like, these kind of roles. It's like, he's the captain. He's like, and it's like, usually in these things, it's like, you know, you have the lower guy who like learns something, but like the the higher up guy just won't listen to him for whatever reason. And here it's just completely flipped. He's like, it's like, no, you're part of my crew. I listen to my crew to make my decisions. Yeah, because we're all smart people here. Well, I like his name too. Is is uh, his actual name is uh, is Bartolimo Vito Bart <laughs> Mancuso. It's a very Italian name. But yeah, what's here, it's playing. Jones is like, oh man, like this guy's never going to believe me. And at one point, he's like, it's okay, Jones. He already sold me on it. Just tell me what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> and I like uh, that because that's how smart people really are. They're not like so yeah. arrogant. It's like, oh no, only my ideas count. It's like, no, I'm going to listen <laughs> to the guy with the PhD from where did, Harvard. Was, was it Cal Caltech, MIT. Harvard, MIT, whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah I'm going to listen to that guy. Uh, Jones plays some weird noise and like he said the, the computer thinks it's a magma displacement 
and then he speeds it up and it clearly sounds like mechanical knocking so that's like a cool little thing so, yeah ah, okay well that's part of the brilliance of the writing of this script for this movie it's like it includes you in the action yeah it's like you believe oh you're, you're as smart as these guys because you're being shown this information and so now they have a better idea of how to look for a red october so right now they're the only ship out there that that can basically find the red october yeah they're it <laughs> yeah because they got because everybody else because everybody else like they're just going to trust their computer and their computer is going to tell them it's not a sub <laughs> yeah it's magma displacement <laughs> well yeah Chasso describes that like the software they're using was used to do like geological studies and he said he says something about like i think it runs home to mama (laughs) it doesn't know what it is it says it's magma yeah (laughs) all right talk amongst yourselves i'll be right back let me cut to the admiral and jack debate how like they need to make the russians think that the sub is blown up so they can steal it yeah because if they know the sub is still there it's like hey you stole our sub so it's like all right we gotta we gotta find a way to blow up (laughs) but not blow up the sub so that's just a, a plot point. Uh, we cut to the Red October. They're navigating the sub like quickly and dangerously through caverns, uh, which they talk about here that they like had like extreme high detailed plots of the the ground under the the sea, so that they can make very they can drive as quickly as possible. Well, yeah, that trench is mapped out really well, so they yeah. can they can run it as fast as possible. Uh, which is a real thing. I was like, because like a lot of the disadvantages Russian subs have, they can make up for it, but with this high detailed uh, plant maps of the of the floor of the ocean floor. So that was a real thing. Oh yeah. Also, if you if you want, you know, you can read this Tom Clancy stuff, but if you want some real cool stories about naval stuff, uh, read. Uh, <laughs> no, I just immediately forgot the name. Uh, Blind Man's Bluff. It's about uh, uh, naval. Uh, spying throughout the Cold War and it has like a bunch of cool like stories um, <laughs> real life stories crazy stuff about how they design I, I remember they made these like suits that like if you hit the water they would automatically like inflate to keep you floating and so they had like boots that would do the same thing and this guy he went out there the water was so cold that the vest expanded and exploded but the boot floaties worked fine. So the guy just drowned because his boots floating up and he couldn't swim back up to get his head above water. And he just drowned because only the boots inflated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's one, there's one thing, there's two, this is like in the fifties and like there was two submarines that were parked next to each other and they had to evacuate one submarine. And in order to calm the waters, they just sprayed diesel fuel on top of the water to weigh it down so yeah because you can't break the surface tension of the yeah. oil. <laughs> okay. um, and i'm back sorry i had to take a like, two minute piss so yeah uh, i was explaining some stuff about blind man's buff is a is a great like nuclear or uh submarine espionage throughout the cold war oh yeah that's a great book did you talk about the part where they uh had to like the undersea communications cable and how difficult that was to spy on. Uh, no, I didn't mention that. Oh, okay. I was talking about like the, in the fifties, they made like a, a vest that would automatically uh, turn into a floaty thing. If you hit the water and they also had boots that did the same thing. And then when the guy at the water was so cold, the guy hit the water, the vest exploded and deflated and the boots still worked and he drowned upside down in the water. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dark story. 
<laughs> things that almost worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's another way you learn how, like, how just a submarine wants nothing more than to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Like I said, it's it's you're better off going to the be an astronaut than be a submariner. And like they had like the conning tower open and seawater was getting in. And when seawater mixes with batteries, it creates fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sulfuric acid fumes and fun <laughs> stuff to breathe. Well, I mean, just smoking with batteries is a bad idea. So, yeah. Yeah. I remember when dad got mad at us for that or mad at me for that. Because we were jumping <laughs> a battery and I was smoking a cigarette. He's like, you know, that releases hydrogen gas and. It's like the worst thing ever, for, you know, it can like explode and kill everyone. And I was like thinking about, oh, good God, like jumping this old, you know, 82 Chevy pickup oh. could become the Hindenburg. Like, damn. Oh, yeah. I forgot. That's a, yeah. That's the other thing. Like when a battery catches on fire, it releases oxygen. So it creates more fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In a compressed, compressed cramp state. So yeah, we're, we're at the October where they're like they're navigating the sub because they have the detailed plots and they can do it like really quickly and dangerously. <laughs> yeah, they can take Red Route One at like um, yeah, they have hyper accurate like sonar surveys of the depths and it's like oh yeah, it's like flying through the Alps in a plane with no <laughs> windows with a stopwatch. But here the the Caterpillar drive malfunctions, so they have to go back to the standard drives now now people can find them easier because they also have like the Russian fleet is sending out all their anti-submarine planes to look for them. And they're dropping like sonar ping uh, buoys all over the place. <laughs> um, so the yeah, man got... could watch, walk from Greenland to Scotland without getting his feet wet. I <laughs> the term. Yeah. We got to the Russian ambassador. That's what the U S diplomat says that that line, <laughs> they're arguing why the, the Russians are deploying their fleet. And it's, ah, it's just an exercise. Well, then they have to okay. admit that, like, oh, some members of the, you know, Politburo, their sons and daughter, or their, their sons actually were on the some of these uh, submarines <laughs> we might have lost. And it's just total BS. Or did they admit uh, that then, or is that later? I don't know. I remember. I, don't I think it might be later. Yeah. Here, they're still like, here, they're not admitting that they lost the sub yet. So, sorry, I've uh, been drinking too much vodka in honor of the <laughs> Soviet Union. So, I'm. Everything uh, we, together. We got the titles Bear Foxtrot number 692, Soviet anti submarine aircraft south of Iceland. The crew pick up the Red October dropping sonar buoys and then they drop a torpedo after them. Uh, the October Which is launches... cool as shit, by the way. Yeah. Really cool scene. Uh, they launch the October launches countermeasure. Ramius steers the sub at like a hard turn to get the tor torpedo to hit a cavern wall rather than them. Uh, the crew grows really uneasy as they realize that their own people are trying to kill them. <laughs> it's like, I thought this was an exercise. That was a really close exercise. Yeah, because like an actual live torpedo detonates against the cavern wall. <laughs> and mind you, they're like at minus, what, 10 seconds on the turn. Like they can yeah. crash into that wall at any, any time. Yeah, he says brace for impact. <laughs> yeah, like sound collision, you know. It's like, wait a minute, we're just running into walls? Okay, cool. And then, the, and then also the chief mechanic finds sabotage in the Caterpillar Drive, so they're like, ah, KGB agents on board. Yeah, KGB uh, sabotaged the cryogenic plant, which is like, <laughs> that just sounds like gobbledygook, but that actually means like the the liquid helium has been like let out <laughs> at some point. It's like, where? 
<laughs> Everyone would be talking in squeaky voices, but you know, I don't want to get you know, too. Far. Well, so also first they talk about it, it makes it sound like the reactor is the problem, but it's like no, it's a part of the caterpillar drive, and so they have to shut it down. So it was yeah. weird dual kind of thing it's like yeah you can either let it be one dangerous thing or another dangerous thing so. yeah we can either leak helium all over the ship or we can melt down a nuclear reactor which <laughs> as we find out three years hence is like not a problem in the soviet union <laughs> and we come back to jack and jack figures out like that they're going to fake a radiation leak to get the crew off the, the red october there's also where they're like, hey, we need to get me out to the USS Dallas because like they're they're the nearest to the Red October. And it's also where he says, like, well, anyone can get you out there is to take a helicopter and strip it down and turn it into a flying gas can. Yeah, which sounds safe. <laughs> so they sent Jack out to, to to Dallas on a helicopter, which again it's an even bumpier ride. So yeah. Uh, this is also when Jones finds the Red October because there's there's they're back on their normal screws and so they're chasing after him. And then we come back to the October and Captain Borden's like fantasizing about living in Montana and having a chubby American wife. <laughs> He's well, going to have two wives. Yeah, yeah, one for Arizona, one for Montana. Yeah. <laughs> drive a big truck. Yes. Uh, we come back to uh, Winnebago. <laughs> uh, we come back to Dallas. They're they're right behind October, and this when when it suddenly pulls a crazy Ivan, which that's basically when they just. Especially on middle, missile submarines, they'll just randomly turn left or right to see if anybody's behind them. <laughs> um, Which is so a real thing we found out from, you know, uh, Red, uh, what was the book? Blind Man's, Man's Bluff. Bluff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I hear they say that, like, so in order to counter that, you basically just have to, like, stop doing anything on your boat, like, not even go forward or reverse or anything, because they can all hear that. So you just have to keep floating forward and hope nothing happens. Yeah, all they stop quite quiet the... is what they say. Um, just hope you don't, don't like stop, roll into don't, the back. They don't stop. <laughs> they keep <Yeah>. going. Yeah. <laughs> they're just they're, they're cruising forward rather than uh, on power. But um, uh, this is also where like Ramius at one point talks about like kind of like his regret of being in the military. He talks about like a war with no battles, no monuments, only casualties. <laughs> yeah. And then on the ELF, which is that extremely low frequency. Yes. <laughs> or what is okay? There's VLF, ELF. I don't know which one is deeper or uh, elf is what they call seance because when the people talk to you because the uh frequencies are traveling through the earth and to you because you might remember you're on the opposite end of the earth they call those seance because the messages come through like it's like you're talking to spirits of the dead or something it's it's very weird i know in northern michigan in 1991 after they spent a billion dollars uh, building these huge antenna arrays to communicate in what they call ELF to our nuclear submarines to launch missiles, at the end of the Cold War, they just ended the program because it was like, well, it's stupid. And we can do it <laughs> with satellites a lot cheaper. But they actually had sonar, or not sonar, they actually had antenna arrays in northern Michigan, the UP, really, which I don't know if you guys know what the UP is, but it's desolate wasteland i've been there before it's nothing there and uh yeah they built these massive like multi-mile arrays for what they call you know elf which is extremely low frequency uh transmissions to our sat uh submarines all over the world to launch missiles or not or whatever and i guess they sounded like the spirits of the dead talking to them <laughs> because they were very low um data 
you know, it wasn't like like um, like when you send a text out on a phone, that's what you call a microburst, um, microwave transmission. It's very fast. It's a lot of data. It squirts it out. ELF is very slow. So it's like you would you would send data out like one, two, F, seven, nine. You know, it, it would sound very weird coming to you. It, mean, it basically means launch the missiles, kill the world, whatever. <laughs> Uh, but Mancuso gets the order to surface and pick up Jack, which they're kind of pissed about. It's like, we're tracking a missile submarine? Yeah, it's <laughs> stupid. It would never, like, really happen. But, yeah. Uh, so they need to drag off... <laughs> Jack off. They need to drop off Jack onto the sub from a helicopter. But... <laughs> <laughs> they need to jack off Jack <laughs> on a helicopter, which creates a lot of static electricity. <laughs> Yeah, because the rotor wash, weather, it's also supposed to be stormy here, but here it's kind of just like a, a weird effect they put on top of the film, but it's fine. Um, the rotor wash is also creating static electricity if they could, if they touch the submarine. So there's a guy with a pole that's supposed to like basically discharge the static electricity, but he gets kind of like zapped rather than getting the pole right. And so he falls down. And then, like, they're starting to pull Jack up and, and abandon the try, and then Jack just releases himself in the water, which they tell him earlier, like, if you drop in the water, you have four minutes to live. Yeah, you know, freeze to death, because it's like, you know, it's almost... The only reason that water's not ice is because all the salt in it. it that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's true, by uh, the way. Yeah, it lowers the freezing temperature. Like, isn't that how road salt works? Like, it doesn't melt the Yeah, snow, it lowers, it the, lowers freezing the freezing temperature. Yeah. This is what um, eats the finish off every car I have. That's why I have to buy new ones every four years, and I hate it. Um, but also, but you see, at like, least I can buy new ones every four years. But Mancuso, he has that. Like he says, like, oh, we gotta get this guy. Like, put somebody, put a diver in to go get him in case he falls out. So they they're ready for that. So. Yeah. Um, but it's incredibly dangerous. Because they're going um, through the diver trunk on a submarine, which, go ahead and look that up, anyone who's listening. It's like, <laughs> that's insanely dangerous. So, yeah, then we cut to the ambassador who says Ramius is going to launch missiles. Uh, so they're like, what, you got a madman out there? Um, then Jack tells Mancuso what's going on, but like the Ramius madman memo gets to him, and he's like, well, I can't believe what he said right now because I got this official memo out here. You need to go, or yeah. Sorry, okay. five legs are kind no of problem. Me too. Thanks for doing the podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, it was good to see you again, me. Andrew. I hope you're doing good. <laughs> sorry, he just took his headphones off. He said thanks for coming. Uh, no worries, thanks, Abe. Yeah. Um. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Intruders. Uh. So yeah. So they yeah, doubt. Even though like, Mancus. Well, Mancus just thinks like this guy's crazy, so he doesn't want to listen to him anyway, and he just gets this memo that just counteracts everything he says. Also, everything Jack says like doesn't make sense to him. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's highly improbable that a guy just taking out a new ship, ship wants to hand over to Americans. <laughs> that doesn't seem right. But. Yeah, this is like the most rational part of the movie. It's like, oh, <laughs> you know, you have to believe in like unicorns and fairies to think that this guy <laughs> is like, no, he's doing something good for America who was raised in the Soviet system and was highly <laughs> successful in the Soviet system is now like giving you a gift. It's like, no, that doesn't exist in the real world. And then Jack tries to convince is trying to convince Mancuso that like Ramius is defecting while they're about to fire on the red October. 
here we got the mention of full safeties and saying like we don't want this we don't want this fish coming back at us so that, that's kind of a thing for later on <laughs> yeah um yeah i didn't know what the hell that was and it's like, oh, okay <laughs> Well, it's interesting that because like he Mancuso says that, and then he uses that trick against them later yeah. on. So, so it's like, ah, he knows. Again, this is uh, bringing the proles into the like. Oh, you're part of the wisdom circle now. You know all this stuff. It's like, no, I don't. But uh, and then Jack uses like kind of a thing here. Is like he always he always goes left. He always does a left. Do you pull any crazy Ivans? He always goes left in the bottom of the hour. Um, which is just a ploy by Jack to get some, <laughs> if he's correct. Which I angles. love, by the way. It's like <laughs> I've tried this in my actual life before. <laughs> Very low success rate, but it's like, yeah, it's kind of cool. Uh, so the Dallas intentionally gives away itself away by like full stop and backing up. So the Red October can definitely hear. <laughs> We're cavitating. <laughs> Look that up. I don't know what that means, but. Once I looked um, it up, I felt smart because I was like, I'm with this movie. Um, which is a lot of interesting to hear because it almost seems like, like how Star Trek is this stuff. It's like, because they know like, I know it's all working by sound, but it seems like, because like, look, they can't see that, but they're saying like, they just opened up their doors. They just flooded it. They did, they put torpedoes in. It's like, how do they know all this? It's like, eh, experience. Yeah. <laughs> sound. Yeah. I know sound what it sounds very, like. <laughs> yeah. Sound travels very well through through water so yeah but you know because you haven't done that before it seems like how would they know that you know it's it's like in star trek it's like they just put their shields up and it's like how do you know that <laughs> like oh they just transported a human thing here it's like how do you know that <laughs> so again here it's how do you know that so yeah the dallas opens up their torpedo doors but the october doesn't so they both like flooded their torpedo bays but only the dallas opens up the doors which they can both hear and detect so that's supposed to mean something that the October didn't open up their doors. Uh, so both subs go to the periscope depth and they start communicating with Morse code. Uh, the red October like verifies the message with pings. And it's like, so he's like uh, a board and we need one ping, one ping only. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really mean the... anything to us, but it's like, Oh, this is important. Yeah. Well, I got, well, I got, I think in, in, in submarine stuff, like the ping, sending out a sonar ping is like a last ditch thing. Cause it, not only do you pick up other people's location, it gives away your location. So it's not something you normally do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's, I mean, yeah, we can explain this. Like there's, there's something called passive sonar and there's something called active sonar, which active sonar is like the world most of us live in where it's like, we're actively looking for things that you know like indicate what others uh what other people's intentions are but uh you know passive sonar is like oh we're just listening and guessing what people think um so yeah it's important that like you know to actively send out a signal it's going to get you a much better return with a lot more information but it also reveals your uh your uh your uh, your location location and because where did i learn trying to think of what gun nonsense I learned about why you don't turn on a flashlight on the end of your gun because it reveals your location or a laser or anything. Yeah. It's kind of the same nonsense. It's like, oh, yeah. So, yeah, then they also, like, he sends another message that we aren't privy to what he sends, but he verifies it again with a ping. Uh, and then Jack gives them a course correction. It's like, we need to go through this abyss. <laughs> Laurentine abyssal. 
So I have that being the end of Act 2. Because in Act 3, titles, The Grand Banks, just north of the Laurentine Abyssal, 20 hours later. Uh, there's a reactor emergency aboard the Red October. They're surfacing to evacuate the boat. Uh, they placate the doctor to make it seem like following orders is like his idea. It's like, we need to evacuate the boat. It's like, no. It's like, ah, oh, I guess you're right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, this is actually what they meant to do the whole time. There's like a U.S. Navy frigate that hails them uh, via Morse you know, or whatever the light, whatever, to, to hold and wait to be boarded. Uh, and and Ramius is like making it look like he's bravely keeping Russian secrets out of American hands by submerging the boat after they get all the crew off. And he's got to scuttle it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which means just blowing it up. <laughs> uh, the frigate sends, uh, oh, also they fire like a shot across the bow to make, you know, to make sure it's like that, you know, a mean business. Uh, the frigate sends out a sea chopper and it drops a torpedo after the great, the great red October. Uh, they're tracking as it's about to hit the red October, but then Greer detonates it, detonates a torpedo before it blows up the red October. And he tells the sonar guy or weapons guy here, it's like, Hey, you, you just blew up the red October. That's what you're going to say. And I was never here. <laughs> yeah. This didn't happen. And I was never here, which is like, it's, like I've always it, wanted to say that to someone. <laughs> never happened in my life but yeah uh also skip is there he, he came with greer and they got the dsrv so they're gonna go dock with the red october because that was a thing also early on when they, he met skip he's like i hey, work on this thing you can dock with any boat russian whatever <laughs> so universal then, adapter uh docking plate yeah yeah and it can and it can you can get it anywhere in the world in 24 hours so you know that just so all those bases are covered that's why we have this little sub here <laughs> yeah so they're on that sub, they dock with the, the Red October. Jackson there, he rec- reluctantly takes a gun from Mancuso, which, you know. 1911 45, for anyone who's interested. <laughs> My favorite. Well, yeah. No, I'm just saying, no, I'm just saying that, you know, that, uh, you know, Alec Baldwin is not reluctantly taking a gun. <laughs> oh, ha- right, here comes the Alec Baldwin <laughs> jokes. Hey, is this unloaded? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, let's find uh, out. <laughs> I don't want to shoot it at the wrong person. <laughs> um, they open the hatch and the the the, the, the Russians guy invite the crews back in, or uh, invite the the Americans onto the Red October. Which here they kind of cut back to it's like oh they're speaking Russian again, so it's kind of back to like because that that's what the reality would be. They would be speaking Russian, but yeah. Um, uh, they all get down there. There's kind of tenseness between like what's left of the Russian crew and the, the Americans here. And then Jack takes a cigarette from the chief engineer, despite the whole movie, multiple times he denies cigarettes because he doesn't smoke. Yeah. And here he takes a cigarette and tries to smoke it, and the Russian crew chuckles at him because he's not handling smoking very well. So. Captain Ramius looks at like Mancuso, and he's like, you know... Epovni di Dr. Ruski or whatever. And, 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 and Ryan immediately detects that. It's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, because like, yeah, Ryan starts laughing and, he's, and Mancusa's like, what's so funny? He's like, he seems to think you're a cowboy captain. Because you have a pistol on you. And yeah. it's like, yeah, who would, you know? Um, and also, it's not really Russian. <laughs> Uh, and then Jack and uh, uh, and Marius like kind of like deep debrief each other because he's like, "How'd you know we'd fake a? How'd you know we'd fake a, a a radiation leak?" And he's like, 
Uh, that was just a guess, but it seemed logical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and these and, and these people aren't speaking like to each other and coherently at this point. It's either it's it's like yeah. Well, but then because so Ramius is like uh, you know it's like oh you speak Russian it's like yeah it's important to know the language of your enemy. And, oh, I wrote Marius. Yeah, I meant Ramius. Yeah. <laughs> Taking notes. But then Ramius hands over the Red October to Mancuso, so now they control that. Yeah. Um, but then all of a sudden they hear a Russian torpedo go by, and then the Alpha's coming after them. Uh, the The range on the torpedo was set wrong, so it just goes way past them uh, and doesn't activate or anything. I don't think it, it doesn't blow up at all, I don't think. I can't remember. I mean, all, all I remember is, like, it's high-speed screws. It's like the Russian <laughs> torpedoes, like, run a lot faster than the American mark 48 or yeah like jones is down there he's not even on headphones he just knows what it is already because he's just the audiophile of the group yeah i don't know cool (laughs) jones said cool i'm i'm going with him so a mix of the a mix of russian and american crew like man the october which is just kind of fun ramius steers like has jacks he's like giving orders to steer the sub and so he steers them into a torpedo and Mancusa's like, don't do that. <laughs> like, yeah, or stirring into an it. active warhead. And it's like, no, don't uh, do that. And like, like it's completely rational. It's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do this. And then, but Jack trusts Ramius, so he steers the Red October into the path of the torpedo. Uh, also, the Dallas can't fire at the Alpha because, like, hey, we're not in an active war, so we can't do anything. Here. Yeah, we can't shoot at this fucking thing. So, uh, and so they end up, so they end up hitting straight onto the torpedo, and it just bounces off the hull because the torpedo couldn't arm itself in time because they closed the distance before it armed. Yeah, um, which is only something like five people in the world would know. <laughs> cool. Uh, then the KGB agent like comes in on the Racktober and fires at, into the con, and he kills Captain Bord- Bord- Borden. Uh, you know, which is sad. It's like I would have liked to see Montana. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to have my two. My I would like to practice polygamy in Montana, but not now. Um, and then Alec Baldwin's like, I get to shoot someone. Cool. <laughs> so yeah, Ramius and Jack go after the agent. Uh, Mancuso takes command. Oh, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh, uh, something like I forget that they're talking about. Like, hey, what books did you write? And he's like, I wrote this book. And he's like, oh. That was a stupid book. Your conclusions were all wrong. Oh, <laughs> Ad- yeah. Admiral Halsey was a madman. <laughs> yeah, it was about Halsey. It's like the fi- you know the fighting sailor. It's like no, your conclusions were all wrong. He was, <laughs> was an idiot. He just sacrificed lives or not. I mean, I don't know what he said, but yeah, I can only base it more on the book than the movie. But yeah, uh, but Mancusa takes command of the Red October. Ryan goes with Ramius to stop the agent from blowing up the sub because he's going to sabotage the missiles to. Not necessarily set off on nuclear detonation, but just to detonate in general and just blow up the sub and scuttle it, essentially. Yeah, he can blow up, like, the uh, charges in a nuclear yeah. missile, which are very destructive. <laughs> um, yeah, and inside a submarine, that'll do a, that'll do some business. <laughs> Be careful. Uh, Not everything in here reacts well to gunfire <laughs> or something like that. It doesn't react well to bolts. Yeah, bullets, okay. Um... Also, we have. Uh, yeah, I mean, you got to remember, it's like Sean Connery is my movie dad, so I don't remember like, <laughs> what he said. It's like, yeah, it just kind of sounds cool. Uh, we cut to the Alpha, and the Alpha realizes that, like, oh, they set 
like, oh, they just ran into the thing because the because they close the distance. So here they take all their safeties off the torpedoes. Yeah. So essentially they'll blow up on impact. Set all range safeties to zero. <laughs> and, and screw God. And we're going to do this. And you know, I mean, I don't know. I can't do a Swedish accent. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, yeah, uh, Jack and, and Ramius are, are, are take gunfire. But Ramius gets like shot in the shoulder. And so he's out of the fight. And then, he tells Jack, like, be careful. Things around here don't react well to bullets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Zach, Jack actually, just... they react very well because they just shut down. <laughs> but, yeah, go ahead. Uh, and then Jack's, like, getting shot at some more, and he's, like, talking to himself and mimicking Sean Connery, which is funny because the reality of it. He, he's doing a Sean Connery Scottish impression, yeah. so it's funny. But I love uh, it. He's... It's great because it's what I would do in the same situation. It's like, oh, things don't react well to bullets but... in here. It's like, yeah. Oh, but also, here's, the, here's the, the, the ironic line. He's like, I have to be careful what I shoot at. It's like, yes, you do, Alex. Yes, you do. Yeah, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be careful what you shoot at because it might be like the um, you know safety officer on the movie uh, I don't know, whatever you know generic movie you're shooting for Netflix or it was called Rust I think yeah whatever it's a bunch of garbage. Um, it wasn't Hunt for Red October no so the the Alpha launches another torpedo here the Dallas jumps in front of the torpedo to draw its fire yeah. And here, like the, the guy, I forget the guy. I, this, this isn't cop. Well, it might be cop. I don't know. Somebody else is running the Dallas, and he says, "All right, take us to the roof." <laughs> so they do an emergency like uh, uh, ascension or whatever you call that. Emergency blow uh, of the ballast tanks. Yeah. With all, <laughs> all the sexy photos of uh, submarines you see, uh, which are in, to encourage you to pay more taxes on this. Sh- is like yeah, that's emergency blow. <laughs> it's like you're basically. Well, yeah, which is always cool because like here's like here's something that weighs I don't God knows how but million tons or whatever. Forty eight thousand tons, like jumping out of the sea <laughs> like a like an orca. Yeah. It's like oh this is cool yeah just take fourteen thousand dollars a year in tax from me to make this happen because this is what keeps uh, America safe. And that was that was a real submarine, you real U.S. submarine that did that. So yeah, they just filmed the real U.S. submarine doing that. So so it's a real thing. Now in the book, remember they used a um, almost retired World War II or maybe Korean War era submarine to be the uh, bait for the Alpha missile. Oh okay. Yeah, it's different in the book than the movie because. You know, the movie's way more inspiring than the book. But, <laughs> yeah, in the book, they made, like, a fake submarine. It's like, oh, this is how we fake the sinking of the Alpha, or the uh, Red October. Red October. Yeah. But in the uh, movie, not- we, we, like, you know, close the loop by, like, oh, no, it's the Alpha that sunk. <laughs> you arrogant bastard, you've killed us. <laughs> Yeah, so the Dallas releases countermeasures, uh, and they mer- do an emergency surface. Um so now the torpedo's now searching for a target. It, it gets back on the Red October. Oh, no, they have a line I've always wanted to say. Like, launch a 10-inch, uh, you know, evasion device. It's like, I've always wanted to say that. And I'll <laughs> we come back to inside the Red October. Jack gets a drop on the agent who we figure out. It's like, oh, it's the cook. He was on the yeah. sub. That's a KGB agent. So. And he's the one that witnessed the... Which is the brilliance uh, of John McTiernan and the writers. It's like, yeah, it's the cook. <laughs> he's got two wires like he's about to cross them and jack ryan's gonna just 
you know, pummel him with seven shots from a 45 <laughs> ACP. Which, yeah, which this is a PG movie, so it's like a real interesting shot because you never see like bullets enter him. You just see like this wind start blowing him back. It's yeah. a really effective scene of him getting blown away by gunfire. Yeah, it makes a 45 look like a 12 gauge firing slug. <laughs> it's like, no, it doesn't really work that way, but it's cool for movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah so he shoots him before he can blow up the sub. Uh, Mancuso steers the Red October at the Alpha. And yeah. gets them to get hit by their own torpedo they just fired. And that's what you said. Like, you, you air canats, you killed us. Yeah, it's the best, you know, Stars, uh, guard, you know, reaction shot I've ever yeah. seen in a movie. <laughs> Including um, Chernobyl, the series. <laughs> Craig Mazin, watch it. It's great. Uh and then the, the evacuated crew sees a huge explosion for, on the surface of the water. And so they believe this to be the Red October. So they are basically the witnesses for the Red October being blown up. Yeah, it's like the doctor, like, uh, what's his name, Curry? Yeah, Who's Tim Curry. Act? Yeah, he's, he's like... You know, uh, Dr. Petrov. Throwing a salute up. That's... Oh, yeah, like when the Dallas, like, breaches the water, they're like, he's like... They scared the Americans out of the water. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, yeah. yeah. All the stuff the the you know Russians from the Soviet era wish was true, but wasn't. <laughs> but yeah, you know. Uh, then we cut to the ambassador and the politician, and he says they that they sunk the Red October, but it's like too deep to go looking because it's in an abyss. Uh, and he's like, ah, maybe someday we'll have technology to to do to look for. It. He's like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Who knows? And meanwhile, like Ramius is sailing it into like Newport News shipyards. The it's like uh, this metallurgy we don't understand. Uh, we're gonna dissect this amazing ship. It's like, oh, we've built ship twenty years more advanced than this, but cool. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Ramius, for your sacrifice or whatever. Uh, and then also here, the ambassador tells them that they lost another submarine, referring to the Alpha. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, uh, Dimitri, you lost another sub. Uh, and then here, he's literally, they have the character with a hat in his hand. So he's hat. In hand. Yeah, literally. Like, Can you help us find this? Sure. <laughs> uh, let me cut to titles. Uh, Penobscot River? I don't know how to say that. Penobscot. Yeah, that's right. Penobscot. Uh, north of Sea Sport, Maine. Uh, so under the cover of night, they hide a sub in a river because they're like, ah, they probably won't have satellite coverage over here, so that's why they're in some river rather than just going directly to a naval base. <laughs> uh, Which they would have, you know, satellite coverage of because the Russians were good at stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jack and Ramius talk, and Ramius is wondering why he hasn't asked him like why he defected. Uh, they speak of fishing, which is something that he that was. Ramius's like dream was guy. Like, I remember fishing with my father and kind of being, um, you know, like peaceful and stuff like that. He also he also gives a quote that he attributes to Christopher Columbus, but just like last week's movie, it's a fake quote that yeah. they made up. <laughs> really compelling, but yeah, it doesn't mean yeah. anything. It's like wow, I wish he said that because like our history would make sense if that was the case. <laughs> Uh, then we cut to cut to Jack's on a plane again, but this time he's passed out and is sleeping peacefully. And then there's a stuffed bear there as like the yeah, bear doesn't have to explain the... turbulence to some dumb bitch. <laughs> <stewardess>. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, the bear is the brother replacement for his daughter, and also it's vaguely a reference to Die Hard, but there's also a bear 
in play on an airplane. Uh-oh. Man, it's like, oh, <laughs> Dr. Beverly Crusher is going to get knocked <laughs> up. You know, and... <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. So Yeah. One of my yeah, favorite a... movies. Yeah. You know, the, one of the best dad movies ever made. <laughs> yeah. No matter how stupid it is, I love it because I love the book and yeah. all the implications well, also, of it. And it's like basically my whole childhood and semi-adulthood. <laughs> well, I always love this movie. Weirdly, this time when I was watching it really analytically, I was like, you know what? This movie in some ways actually kind of boring. And I don't remember it being that way, but I yeah. guess I was just overanalyzing it this time. <laughs> but no, it's still one of my favorite movies, especially favorite action movie. It's it's much more of a thinker than just random explosions, but it has great explosions. In there. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, when it happens, it happens. It's great. I mean, there's that weird scene where they use like footage of an F-14 crashing on the thing as being like, Ah, there's all this tension. It's making. They just use stock footage of an F-14 crashing. Yeah, you know, that's what you gotta do. It's, it's like Senator Fred Thompson. Like this is gonna get out of control, and <laughs> we're not gonna be able to. I don't know what the lines are, but yeah, yeah. It's like everything. Everyone of, of that political stripe believed at that time and to the current day. It's like, well, it's all bullshit, but it's cool. So it's all this podcast. We uh, we're sending a probe into space, containing a supercut of scenes from the imperfect collection that is the Verhoeven Effect movies we watch. And so we have one scene to send into space. And what scene are you sending into space? <laughs> Bakarowski. When, when they come on from the DSRV from uh, onto the Red October from the uh, Dallas, and he sees uh, you know Captain Mancuso's uh, forty five. <laughs> which is the quintessential American gun and it's and it is I have several so yeah I know it is and it's like yeah that that is what we want uh, the world to understand <laughs> what we want the aliens to understand about the uh, Sino-American conflict <laughs> the Sino-Soviet American conflict I'm sorry Sino is like Chinese but yeah is well is, see my I have a uh, my favorite scene I get well I guess one since is the discussion with the with Captain Mancuso between him and Jonesy and like explaining what the the drive is and he has the tape player out. That's my scene because I just like you know people thinking and stuff like that and like the boss like no nah, it's okay Jonesy I believe you but go oh where, where it's like favorite. we speed this up ten times it's like dum yeah. dum 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 it's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> clearly that's you know mechanical uh, no I mean. I mean, my thing with the the you know the thing about the buckaroo is is like yeah, this is the the two civilizations grinding together right here. Yeah, it's like we don't understand each other. Like Mancuso is not a buckaroo; he <laughs> is someone. He's just carrying the standard American sidearm, which is not the most efficient or the best sidearm. It would actually be a revolver, in my opinion. But <laughs> if I had to go onto a Soviet submarine in that era, I would carry a forty-five because. It's emblematic of America and our belief in like, well, maybe the best thing, you know, the best possible weapon isn't the thing we have, but it's the thing we got to, you know, work with. So, yeah, that's why I like it. I mean, I understand what you're saying about the, um, like, yeah, if we speed this up, we can clearly identify this. It's like we just defeated 50 years of Soviet, uh, you know, uh, research into like, oh, yeah, if we speed this up, by a time factor of 10 is like this is clearly a mechanical signal but yeah 
no well I, uh, that, to me that part of the movie is like the kind of like the thinking man part of the movie yeah, where it's just it like is. Clearly. They were figuring it out, which is like most movies don't don't do that at all, and so that's why I like it. Well, uh, but but you know later you know like when like when Mancusa comes on from the DSRV to the Red October with the forty five, it's like that's the 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 misinterpretation of the cultures is the same. It's like it's equally as powerful, but it's a different message at, later in the movie. That's why I like it because it's like, oh yeah, the Russians think we're a bunch of cowboys, but really we're not. We're just a bunch of technical savages who like, you know, oh yeah, we understand technology better than you and we're going to apply it this way, but we're still going to carry 45s, even though nine millimeter hollow points are clearly the superior weapon as a core, as, as clearly demonstrated in John Wick, but you know. And what scene will make it in the supercut? The one I can find on YouTube. Yeah, that's the one that'll make it. Because <laughs> last week I could not find the scene. Because <laughs> you're right. Uh, the Cirque Rouge, the putting gun in the glove department. Like nobody cut that out of the movie to put on YouTube. <laughs> Weirdly enough. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anyone pays attention. I've gotten away with no. so much. Shit because no one pays attention. <laughs> so you can find us at uh, verhoeveneffect.com or pod- podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash effect Or the Joe Rogan experience, whatever you want to believe yeah, yeah. in. Uh, you can rate our podcast. You can rate us whenever you want. The only thing the algorithm listens to is the, the highest ratings. Remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't control you. We have listener support at verhoeveneffect.com. You can support us on monthly stipend of either 99 cents, four ninety nine, or nine ninety nine. You can find us at Twitter at Verhoeven Effect, Facebook Verhoeven Effect. You can find us on YouTube at, at American Greed Factory, where we watch both this and that, sh- that show live and unedited. And we also have t-shirts at belowthecollar.com slash greed factory. So for the Verhoeven Effect podcast, I'm Collins. And I'm Nathan. Goodbye, America. Goodbye, America. And I can't wait to hear from you. <laughs>